There's nothing like snook hook sets at dawn or catching a tarpon in the moonlight. Find your next fishing trip made easy on fishingbooker.com and experience the magic of the Sunshine State or any other destination on your fishing bucket list. Book a blue water adventure in search of sailfish or go snapper fishing with the kids. With over 6,000 captains and trips to choose from, planning your next one just got a whole lot easier. Download the Fishing Booker app on the Google Play or App Store or visit them online at fishingbooker.com to book your trip today. You never want to find yourself out on the water fishing without your essentials. So it's best to always pack a Columbia PFG Solar Stream Elite hoodie to protect against the sun. Man, I was just in Hawaii and I had my Columbia PFG Solar Stream Elite hoodie with me. And here's the deal. We're in and out of the water all the time, getting in to go spearfishing, getting out, taking the kids to the beach. I'm not going to mess around all day putting sunscreen on then having to get washed off. I just run a hoodie. Columbia PFG has a lot of great gear. So before you head out on the water, head over to Columbia.com slash PFG to shop their performance fishing gear. Many of you know Axis deer is considered to be the best tasting venison on the planet. I've been hearing that for years. And that those deer cause some ecological harm. Well, Maui Nui Venison is bringing those Axis deer to the market. So you can get some fresh cuts and sticks shipped to your door. Visit MauiNuiVenison.com. That's M-A-U-I-N-U-I, Venison.com. Use promo code MEATEATER for 20% off your order. This is the Meat Eater Podcast coming at you shirtless, severely bug-bitten, and in my case, underwearless. We hunt the Meat Eater Podcast. You can't predict anything. Presented by OnX Hunt, creators of the most comprehensive digital mapping system for hunters. Download the Hunt app from the iTunes or Google Play Store. Know where you stand with OnX. Okay, we're joined... Uh, the second Taylor we've had in a row. Now, whether Corinne releases these Wait, or not. hold on. Don't say that. It, it's yeah. funny. He's, he's, <laughs> he's, he's commenting on it. I can't say what. Because of the order. Yeah. Oh, I, just, I was just getting into that. Okay, fine. If I can, now he's got to reset the timer again. <laughs> this might be the. It's off by 20 seconds. Wow. No, just leave this in. Leave this in so you can see what I have to deal with. <laughs> Joined by the second Taylor in a row. Though. It might not be how you hear it because that depends on whether Corinne, what she does. Yeah, this how might she, be the first Taylor. Yeah, I don't know. For yeah. you. But for us, Ooh. it's the second Taylor and Roll, both with a great affinity for firearms. Yes. But in a very different context. The other Taylor, Taylor McCall, um, he's got a song, which could be your theme song, which is called Black Powder Soul. Ooh, that sounds exciting. Yeah. I don't think he'd be too... I'm guessing that he wouldn't be terribly handy with a gun, but has a great affinity for guns. Okay. Would, <laughs> you, be good would you bat me up on that? Maybe he's handy with a gun. I would bet that uh, you would have beat him in three guns. You'd outshoot him? Taylor definitely would. Yeah. But you, I, could probably I, I think even in. today you you would have. Yeah. I think he's crafty at fishing. I just don't think he's a crafty shooter. Not yet. He's getting into it. That was Taylor McCall. This Taylor is Taylor Thorne, like Thorne Bay. T-H-O-R-N-E. From New Hampshire. New Hampshire. But not anymore. 
Well, right. I am oh, on you're the still road. from there. You'll always be from there. Well, technically, I'm from Texas. Uh, so, oh, yeah, right. yeah. So the story gets yeah, you really got, like, interesting. I, I that's remember why you now. say y'all. That's right. But you got like a whole confused, like, I'm from here situation. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, because I was born and raised in, in Houston, which, you know, not everyone knows. Houston is like the fourth biggest city in the country. Yeah, it doesn't and get a lot of big – maybe in Texas it it's does. It's massive. In the north, people don't – if you ask people in the north to name big cities, they wouldn't get to it. No. Well, yeah. and the thing, too, is that – so it's the fourth biggest one, but people say – like, when I moved to New Hampshire, they're like, oh, you're from Texas. You're rolling with the cows. I came from <laughs> Houston, a concrete jungle. Like, it was illegal to own farm animals. And I'm like, um, so y'all are roaming with the cows, literally? Right. <laughs> so it was a culture shock, for sure. Yeah, those were the hillbillies. Yeah, but they thought yeah. I was the hillbilly, which was so weird. <laughs> so I moved to New Hampshire when I was 13. Okay, hold that thought for me because there's a couple things we got to take care of. Uh, Yanni, first, Yanni's got to do a thing. He's got to do a favor for a listener. We don't often get actual handwritten fan no, mail, man, do we? that's not true. Oh, we still get a lot I, of it? The, well, the its flow to me had become interrupted, and I recently discovered a large stash of mm. mail. That's why you found that mail to you in my truck. I see. Yeah. Okay, well, we got one. From Dylan Shrupka's wife. Say his name again. Shrupka. Dylan. And uh, you realize you weren't supposed to say that you weren't supposed to implicate his wife. Yes. She said, if we give a shout out to Dylan, please, underlined, please don't mention it. I put you up to it. But <laughs> Dylan's wife, I would have no way. Well, dude, there's no I way you can leave it that's out. That's how you started. Yeah, because how is it going to make her look good if he doesn't know that that's who did it? Well, that and I mean, what am I going to do? Just just say that, you know what? This morning I woke up and I had a dream. And I remembered my dream. And you know what? I was thinking about this name. The initials were D.S. And then I continued to think and Shroop guy thought. <laughs> It's just not going to work, right? So sorry, Mrs. Yeah, it's not, not going to work that way, that's for sure. If you took his name. I don't know. Do you have a way that you could have segued it somehow? No, I was going to go this? straight on. I was going straight to the wife. Yes. Because that's the hero here. And why would she... She's so pure of heart. That, But, like, I'm worried about her. She loves her husband. Yeah, I want him to know that he that she is trying to do him a solid. Yeah. And he should, would I, and maybe he brings home flowers constantly, does dishes and whatever nice things he can for his wife all the time. But I would say, Dylan, you definitely need to be doing some nice things for your wife because she's she sounds awesome. But a couple highlights here from this nice little letter. She says that uh, Dylan uh, has, this is Dylan, I'm sorry, I'm going to mention this stuff. And you're going to get a little mad at your wife, but that uh, you have a man crush on all of the meat eater Guys, especially Yanni, especially the Latvian Eagle. That's okay, buddy. I got uh, man crushes myself. It's it's, it's totally <laughs> fine, man. Own it. And um, she said they listen to the meter podcast relentlessly. She's learned uh, more about everything in the in the woods, including turkeys and bears and this, that, and the other than she ever thought she would. Um, she likes to bust his balls and says that she doesn't like listening, but she actually enjoys listening. So. Anyways, Dylan, shout out. And um, everybody else listening, don't write in for shout outs because we don't often do this. Just we We're just really taken by uh, Dylan's wife. So um, there we go. That's so sweet. Yeah. Did I mention she had really good penmanship? 
Very legible letter. Appreciate that. Uh, another letter we got the the new fashioned way, just an email letter, which kind of spooked me because it's because this guy was writing in in response to me becoming a deep drop enthusiast. He was saying the the I'm going to start with the end. Well, he's a, he's a commercial fisherman from Florida, and he was talking about me talking about deep dropping. He says this is this is a heart this is a heartbreaking shit. So you should put like sad music. Can you put some sad music in over this when you put this together? So he says, anyone familiar with deep dropping would have laughed at Steve's explanation. <laughs> and I don't want Steve to be rejected by the deep drop community. <laughs> where, where, where he, okay, he's telling me some stuff that I've heard from other deep, there seems to be some debate in the deep drop community, but it's like an objective reality thing. Like there's not like room for two people to be right. Do we need to explain what deep dropping is? Did you see the deer in the headlights? It's it's when you fish super super deep. Okay, I figured it was something. You put along it together. You're sharp. It it made sense. Yeah, because Fishing what else would deep. you be? I don't know at what point a deep drop becomes a deep drop. He talks about I, I. It's probably like when you're using deep drop tackle, but he's talking about deep dropping in 500 feet, which I think is like I'm sorry to throw an insult back your way. I think <laughs> 500 feet's pissant deep dropping. <laughs> Ooh. Yeah, nobody uses electric reels at 500 feet. He's a commercial fisherman. I don't know, but I think that I think the the, the deep drop community is laughing at him, thinking it's deep dropping at 500 feet. Okay, we but had what, an idea. what else was it about your explanation? That well, was I want so to talk about one other thing quick because we had this uh, when we were out. Oh, you were there. We had this idea that we were going to lower Seth down. <laughs> Have you heard this? We wanted to lower Seth down into 1,400 feet of water in order to shrink him. Into a little teeny Seth from the pressure, and then pull him back up and just have like a little Seth that would be cast in movies because and stuff. Because he would survive. Yeah, but uh, he, what he doesn't like is he was saying that um, he's saying that that I, I was talking about how the current's not strong out in so much water. Okay, he's saying you just don't you don't realize how much it's ripping. Because you're far away from the shore, and so your frame of context of looking at trees going by, he says, you're hauling ass. The current's hauling more ass out there than it is in the shallow. And he says that the, that the reason your tackle's always running away from you is you got all that line out, and the current's moving faster down deep. Hmm. And he said, my thing well, that the current... not affected by the wind on the surface like yeah, you are. Yeah, he's saying, my thing that it's more like the wind blowing the boat is an optical illusion. Hmm. Like, like, you lower your shit down, and it's hard to keep the boat... In 1,400 feet of water, it's hard to keep, like, your bait directly below the boat. Mm-hmm. It's like running away from you. I was thinking that the wind is moving you away from your shit. But he says the current is moving your shit away from you. Oh, okay. And that's why I would be rejected by the deep drop community oh. for saying that. Other interesting thing, this guy, uh, this is a guy named Luke. You know how people always put their name and their subject, their like line, whatever. It's like MD, PhD, CPA, mm, right? You know what I'm saying? Like, gotta F- love those people. Yeah. Yeah. This is, <laughs> uh, this says no credentials. <laughs> <laughs> Love that guy. Love him. He was talking about this. So we've talked, we've touched on this in the past. Photo period. 
So, can you know what photo period is? No. Yeah, it's like length of day. There's this idea oh, oh, that like, all the okay. like the yeah the length of the day. So all the all this stuff in the animal world, all this stuff in the plant world is triggered by length of day. Um, things that we might think are contributed are triggered by weather are in fact triggered by length of day without the impact on weather. And, and so like, if you look at things like when do salmon migrate, right? Um, there's, it's probably bracketed into an appropriate length of day window within that length of day window. There could be like little things, weather could impact how something uses that length of day window, but the length of day window is fixed. So we talk about like, like why do elk bugle? And people are like, oh, you know, they're, they're not bugling yet because it's hot. The rut came late because of this or early because of that. It would generally, someone would generally look and say like, I can tell you that that rut is occurring in this bracket of daytime length. Because right now you're losing three and a half minutes of daylight every day, okay. right? So that, that it's occurring in this bracket. And within that bracket, there could be these minor variations depending on temperature, all of these other conditions. But they're like the main thing that that thing's going by when a leaf, when a tree loses its leaves, it's mostly going by photo period. Oh, interesting. This guy had some interesting shit because this guy takes care of solar arrays. And so they have all these sophisticated meters that measure length of day, intensity of daylight. And he's watching his solar arrays during these periods of intense smoke in the West from forest fires. And he said that on a, on a, he, he's betting on an earlier rut. Cause he's like, any way that you'd measure photo period about like intensity of midday sun length of day, like during the smoke length of day shortens intensity of midday sun diminishes. Boy, you are really going to throw a wrench into some people's planning right now. That's going to get some people thinking and turning in their beds at night. If they're thinking that the rut could actually be changed by all the smoke this country's had this year. Well, the thing is, too, this dude wrote a long time ago. I've been walking around with this email on my phone. But then he, he, was, he, he, he was fired up about hunting Labor Day. For elk, I'm guessing. He says, I'm putting all my eggs in the Labor Day weekend basket. Luke, no credentials, well, Lander, Wyoming. <clears throat> it would not have, not have paid out here in Montana, I don't think. Because nobody had great act, great bugling action early. But that length of day is affected by amount of light or the time of the number of hours, minutes in a day number where there is light. 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 Okay, so my aunt, who's affected by the fires, sent me a photo. It was like 10 a.m. or 11 a.m. in the morning within her living room, and it was just black. Yeah. She didn't have any lights on in the house. It was just. It's crazy, Dark, right? I so just left California, sense. and it's a whole that like that's part of their life, and it's so weird getting used to not seeing. So when I came further east, and you know, northeast from California, it's like there's stars again. Like, what is this craziness? Because I had actually gotten used to not seeing the stars mm-hmm. or even seeing a blue sky, yeah. and the sun becomes this weird color, and you get so used to this weird environment. Then it blows out, and you're like, "Oh, that's right. <laughs> that's right. <laughs> Shit kind of looks right. normal." <laughs> we Forgot have we have stars. We had uh, speaking of photo period. Uh, I remember when our little boy, our littlest boy, was real little. 
uh, days are so long in the summertime mm. that he goes to bed when it's daylight, right? And wakes up and it's daylight because it's like the nights never end, you know, or the daytime never ends. Right. So he'd gone like this for a couple months in the summer, which when you're super little, like that's like a lifetime. Forever. And we had to go to a wedding one night. So he was up real late and we walked outside of the wedding and he said, who turned the lights out? Because he had like forgot that really? there's such About a thing as thing he forgot night. that there's like even a thing <laughs> called darkness because he hadn't seen it shit in months. Wow, know? wow! Yeah, it's just like always daylight out. And now here, do y'all get where you wake up in the dark and yes. you? Okay, I figured as much because that's always get interesting. To wor- not even just wake up, but get to work in the dark and yeah. leave work in the dark. Yep. Yeah, I always feel lazy. Like I, I, I can't really go to movies in the daytime because when you come out of a movie. Mm. And it's daylight. You feel like you're wasting your life. Mm-hmm. You know, it's like better to come out when it's dark because you don't feel like so lazy. But uh, when I go out to my brother's place in the summer, when we used to drink a lot, you'd um in Anchorage, you'd leave the bar at closing time and it's still light out. Yeah, <laughs> that it, makes you feel like a real worthless. That makes you feel worthless. Oh yeah, it's I feel like, like it makes you feel you better. You're doing like, something. I still have daylight. No, you oh, come I see out. What you're yeah, saying, it's like they close the bar, you walk outside, and you can see. Sure. <laughs> Sure, sure. Like, yeah. Could have been doing something better with your life. All right. Last thing before we, before we, before we dive into Taylor's inner psyche. Um, this guy wrote in. So this guy goes down hunting. I never hunted this lake. Real Foot Lake. You know this lake? Um, I only have been on it, but it's in Tennessee, correct? That's correct. Yeah. My brother-in-law hunted it. So big ass long email all about hunting in Real Foot Lake and how they, everything they do is different. And... He says that he sends in a recording. This is like the actual hunt recording. Mm-hmm. And he says that the, the guide they're hunting with, that this is normal or real foot lake, to yell at mallards. Yell. And what is and he, the benefit of the yelling? I don't, I don't know. He said that, and he said it works. So instead of going like, well, the duck call, here, show, here. What did Ramsey uh, Russell? How did he call it? What was the sound? He what was the name of the sound that he made when he said that guys would voice ducks in? Yeah, I think that that's what ain't, this dude's responding ain't, to. Ankum or how did he say? Yankum, ankum. He had like a what was the word for it? You know what I mean? Yeah, I don't remember. So this is this guy. He said, "If any, you know, play the sound." So and he, and he said, "This dude doing this sound brought birds in." Sounds like a kung fu movie. <laughs> yeah, play him yelling again. He said, he said this guy started doing it, and he's like, what in the world is this guy doing? And then watches this bird go, come right back in. I tell Dude, you what, I love it, man. I'm trying and it. That's all it takes. <laughs> I'm trying it next time. That I I, 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 way less work. I, I, I just got an image of Jackie Chan like doing a. Oh, that's intense, what I think of, man. And then, but afterwards, he's defeated his like narch, you know. And then it's like the squeaky floor of him, like just walking away. It's like that's yeah, a good little movie for that. Yeah, he might have been watching Jackie. He might have been watching kung fu movies real loud and watched. Ducks kept pouring in, and eventually realized that it, the fight scenes, all the fight scenes, <laughs> the ducks started coming in. The I, 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 that's amazing. 
Okay, uh, moving on. Taylor, I'm going to give you a choice. Oh. There's two. You can choose to, right off the bat, describe three gun, which is your comp- your competitive shooter. Mm-hmm. Describe your, uh, what do you call it? Your discipline, game. Sure, yeah. Or explain to people how you live in a camper trailer. <laughs> it, it's like, I don't care which one goes first. <laughs> I mean, it's sort of... They're both top of the pile. Yeah, I mean... And they're intertwined. Well, that's the thing, is how do you go from from one to the other is it's super intertwined, right? Are you not going to include in either of those sort of how she got there, or you can go backwards to get there? I think that each, based on some time I've spent with Taylor, I think that each would deliver us to the same place. I'm just curious how How she chooses to approach it. Oh, gosh. She could be like, so... So. I live in a trailer. Yeah. And then do the whole deal. Or be like, so I like three gun. Yeah. So it's up to you. I, I would rather start with a camper first because okay. that's that's a more easy bite-sized piece, right? So I started traveling. Gosh, I'm going into five months now. I live in a travel trailer that I tow with my forerunner from New Hampshire. I'm in Montana right now. Uh, but what's interesting is that I, I didn't come straight across the country. I went all the way down to Florida, over to Texas, up through Colorado. So I've done like these huge V's. So it's not been from point A to point B. It's been everywhere in between doing shooting competitions in the interim. And it's been an interesting life. Living on the road is a full thing in itself. And living on the road. Have you swung back home during the five months? I flew back home. Okay. Because. Ditched your stuff and flew home. Yeah. 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 I was not going to (laughs) drive from California to New Hampshire and then back. I just flew back. Most home. of the country is not close to New Hampshire. See, and I think I think that it is. Oh, but... really? It feels centrally located to you? <laughs> <laughs> well, I mean, because... I think they put st- strategic air command in Missouri. You think so? I'm thinking it was close to everything. Yeah. Well, it's just one of those things where there's so many states in New England. We always feel like we are a part of just because numerically other... there's a lot of states. Because numerically there is yeah. a lot. Yeah. A lot of people. Too. I mean, and there is a lot of people for sure. And because you have the, those major cities like Boston, uh, New York, Philadelphia, that's all in that mm. area. You do sometimes feel. Yeah, that's fair. You're right. You, you know, but yeah. anyway, so coming out to Montana, if anything, I definitely feel like I'm out in the middle. Nowhere here, but I I like it for that. Yeah. Got yes. It. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. So uh, now, because you did that, explain three gun, and then we'll go way back in time. Way back in time, yeah. Taylor in the past yeah. with three gun. Um, so I started competing three gun in my first competition was in 2016, but I I don't count that. But as explain a it like I'm five years old. Like, like, like Yanni's five years old. No, I would say it the same way. I talk very maturely to five-year-olds. So. No, but not, not explain how you got into it yet. <laughs> no, but, but we need to know what is it. Yeah. What is it? Yeah, someone's like, I've never ah. heard of this thing. Well, I didn't know what the hell. I, until today, I didn't know what the hell. I mean, I, I knew yeah. just... Uh, I was confused between cowboy action, pistol shooting. That's right. You were asking all these questions about sass, and it's like <laughs> they call it sass. Kills it, me. It's it's s a s s. So it's an actor. They couldn't find a way to throw a y on the end. <laughs> sassy youth, like the youth league, is sassy. You should ask them. I bet they would be up for it because they are some pretty sassy people that shoot. When I cowboy. heard when when <laughs> I used to think I had three gun and cowboy action shooting mixed up. 
did this like rock your world then when no because I had it figured out before today <laughs> okay. but I mean had you talked to me a year ago I would have been I was a tad confused okay yeah because cowboy action shooting so these are um basically all the sports that we're talking about right now is action shooting sports so there's all sorts of different disciplines within competition shooting bullseye shooting is that you know when you see the guy standing sideways with one hand and his pistol and he's taking a sweet time to get this super super tight group uh with his normally it's like a 22 or something like that yep. right so you have those kind of competitions uh you have uh sometimes people ask me if three guns like uh biathlons where you ski and then you shoot the 22 rifles I guess that might be moving a little bit better and closer to the right direction because you, you're moving, but it is also, again, very different. Um, and so with action shooting, you are basically running with guns, and it's all time and accuracy. So it's how fast can you shoot these targets? Running with guns. It, it is. Yeah. It's legit running with guns. How fast can you be and how accurate can you be while you are moving quickly, uh, which makes it a lot of fun. And why it's different so you don't, from— So like, you don't—even though uh, we got to keep track, we still haven't explained three-gun, but I, that's my fault now— uh, you don't like skeet shooters are not your kinfolk. They are not, but I did spend my first three years of competition shooting in sporting clays. Oh, yes. Okay, so we'll hit that when we do <laughs> when we do the deep dive. Okay, so back so, back to three yeah. gun. That's, yeah, yeah, I, yeah. I, I, I maybe I don't think I knew that. No, you did not. Okay, fun fact. Why is it even called three gun? Because there's three guns. Ha! Yeah, three <laughs> times the amount of fun. It's yeah. awesome. So pistol, shotgun, rifle. And you transition between all those firearms under a course of fire, which is basically that obstacle course that we had set up today where you shoot all these different targets. And what's interesting, and we didn't even talk about this today, is how flexible these competitions could be and how the stages can change. So what I mean by that is you could have a three-gun competition where you only shoot one gun in a stage, but the next one you might shoot two. And then one after that, you might shoot three. So there's an infinite Are the stages amount. like holes of a golf course? Um, I mean, maybe. I'm not as familiar with golf. Well, it would be like um, like in a Neither tournament. <laughs> okay, good. I'm like, am I? <laughs> well, no, like in a tournament. Like we did it one stage today, correct? It's correct. Okay, so we did one. So we did one stage today in which you shot rifle. We shot rifle at one, two, four, five targets. Mm-hmm. Shot a shotgun at half dozen targets. Mm-hmm. Shot a pistol, maybe I don't know, nine. ballpark nine, nine targets. Yes, in that order. So that was a stage. Mm-hmm. But in a tournament, all of a sudden you move to a new. Yes. And it, but but what, how many stages might there be in a tournament? It depends on the level that the competition's at. So your average local match, that's what we call them as match, um, will be, you know, maybe anywhere from like five to seven, depending on the size of oh, it. so you get to do it. what we did today, seven different setups? Yeah. Oh, that's well, way and better. Travis that's was saying better. that the- And you just rotate. Travis was another fellow that I'm guessing you know well. You, you guys seem like you guys were buddies. But um, he also shoots competitively, correct? Yes. And maybe as a pro even. So for those of y'all who are listening, we're talking about Travis Gibson of MGM Targets. Okay. And is he a pro three-gunner? Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Still now? Well, he's definitely in industry. Yeah. Very okay. well-known. Very well, and well-known. he was saying that he had one recently where he shot 16 really? stages. Yeah. Oh, Is wow. he former military? Is it bad that I don't know? I don't know. I don't. I don't think that's bad. Yeah, I don't know. I'm not sure. If you're bad, I'm bad. I don't bad. think so. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> but I, I would. I would hate to say if uh, if he did have a stint and 
But that's not how we got into all of this. There was mm. there was nothing. I know that for a fact. Well, Seth Bergensy was there, and he was former military. Right, but that's mm. yeah, but that's different. Mm-hmm. So, but there's not always that that military crossover. Um, but just a step backwards. So it depends on the the size, uh, the level. We call them different levels of three gun competitions. So your normal local match will have again five to seven. You know, maybe eight if some match director is like super ambitious. And then from there, you have sort of your, you know, maybe regional matches, if you will. And those will have anywhere from maybe like seven to 10 to 12. And then your national level competitions will typically have at least 12 plus. Um, your your average national will be right around those early to, to mid-teen mark. Uh, you know what we ought to do real quick? Explain the Explain the guns. You're shooting ah. a you're shooting a yeah. AR platform rifle. Yes. Like walk through all the and then the shotguns like nothing I've ever seen. Uh, and and compared to, I mean it's the same thing I've ever seen, but I mean it's like accessorized. Yeah, yeah. Just walk people through the yeah. the, 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 the guns. So competition shooters, we have a lot of fun with our gears. Uh, you have your handgun, and th- so keep in mind too that I I could spend an incredible amount of time describing this because there's so many different divisions. So you have open division, a limited division, and heavy metal, and I'm not even going to dig into it because heavy it, metal. Yeah. Well, you have to explain that. No, I got to know what that is. That So that – you remember you, when you asked earlier today, you said, does anyone shoot anything other than nine? Like, do they go for the bigger calibers? Mm. That's heavy metal. So those guys are shooting like a 40 or 45. They have a 12-gauge shotgun. Um, and then with the rifle, they're using a larger caliber rifle. So they're not using two two three five five six. Those guys will come out with a three oh eight. Some of them have like an M1 Garand. It's like – it's really cool, but it's a niche thing. Those guys are like in their own. Because because you guys are totally mainstream. Oh yeah, yeah that's yeah. yeah. Been, that's <laughs> <laughs> I'm sorry. Yeah, yeah. you guys do are you, like. Do you have any idea? You guys how, are like Betty Crocker cookbooks, man. How many competitive three gun shooters are there in the country? Do you so, have any idea? It's hard uh, to say numbers, but when you guesstimate, so when when I've talked with people about marketing in the past, what we have said is that, like, let's say you have a social media account or you know whatever it is. If you gather 10,000, you probably have most of the market, right? So that is the number that I could come to the table is it with you. It, 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 yes and no. So it's... But pre-COVID, yes, right now. Oh, yeah, everything, everything, yeah. Yeah, so it's it's a really weird time because firearm ownership is obviously rising exponentially. Um, but competition shooting isn't. Everybody traveling somewhere and getting together and having to hold down is um, down. Well, no, no. So the problem is that most of the competitions have been canceled, right? Mm-hmm. So I was supposed to have hit the road back in March, but then nationals got canceled or postponed, I should say. Um, and then another area match got postponed. So all these things have been either postponed or canceled, right? Um, so that was a big issue. So how are you supposed to get more people involved if we are postponing or canceling all the competitions? But uh, when, and I still want to get back to the walk through the guns, but mm-hmm. real quick, when did someone first utter the words three gun tournament? Mm-hmm. It, it wasn't 10 years, was it 10 years ago? Oh, no. Longer than that. Okay. 15, 20. Okay. Um, I would say... Like three-gun tournament. Y- yeah. Um, you match, they call them. Oh, ma- sorry. Match. Like you could have gone to meant. a three-gun match a decade ago. Oh, absolutely. Okay, cool. Yeah, so uh, the, the OG guys, I mean, they, they come back from, you know, early 2000s. And it all started... Gotcha. Um, it was like a, a law enforcement match, basically, where they ended up inviting... Um, 
you know, people who were non-LEO. And then and you young whippersnappers started beating them at their own game. It just evolved. Yeah, yeah it, it evolved. So it's it's been around for a while. Um, but maybe because of sources like YouTube, I think, is probably why it's gained perhaps more uh, public light because it's getting more exposure. Where before we were just kind of doing our own thing and then no one maybe knew about it. Does that make sense? Yeah, mm-hmm. for sure. Yeah. Okay, do the guns, but do it like if you imagine – one being on a, on a sliding scale, mm-hmm. a one treatment would be rifle, pistol, shotgun. Okay. A 10 treatment would be like um, this trigger tuned this way. Ah. Okay. This upper, this lower. I Cerakoted it. Like that's one in 10. Sure. Hit me with like a five. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> you like, in the middle of the road. Like a five, answer. the guns. Yeah, sure. As a five. So I'll try not to dub it down to like a three or a four, uh, but you have your handgun, right? Again, it depends on your division as to what handgun you are going to shoot. But typically, we're looking at nine millimeter uh, when it comes to three gun in particular. Um, there's other disciplines out there where it can make a difference, but we're going to leave that out of the picture. And I'm just saying that more for the listeners who are like, oh, what about major power factor? We're just talking about three gun right now. <laughs> So <laughs> I that, know. that listener. Yeah, that listener. Right. <laughs> so we're just talking about three gun. So it's going to be a uh, nine millimeter semi-automatic. Uh, so today we were shooting SIGs, uh, the X5 Legions. Is that is, what you normally shoot? That, that's my gun. That's okay. what I have. Yeah. yeah. So that's what a lot of people are going to be shooting is a striker fire firearm like that. Uh, and then you have a lot of really great limited or open guns that you could introduce as well. So all that is doing, just so y'all are know, those are custom built firearms that are made out of their they're all metal, right? All metal. Like, think of a 1911. Are you familiar with the 2011? Mm, no, 1911, but not 2011. Hey, imagine everything you love about a 1911, and then you add twice the ammo. Oh. Oh, yeah. Because they're because they're, <laughs> they're staggered in the magazine or what? Correct. So it's a double-stacked Yeah, but that's like, like, like a Glock pistol staggered magazine, right? Because that's why they're so right. like burly in the hand grip. But, it's, yeah. um, but a Glock is a striker fire. It's a polymer gun where a 1911, it's nice and it's, it's heavy and it fits great and they shoot nice and flat, right? Uh, so 2011s are typically uh, custom built. I mean, you have some that are factory built as well, but in some form or fashion, there's some sort of hand fitting going on. Okay. Uh, so they, they, they tend to be pretty expensive. Then open guns... Uh, so at the end of the AR, you know how there is a, you know, uh, there's a compensator at the end, basically. There's this muzzle brake. Yeah. So you put that on a pistol. And when you put that on a pistol, along with some other things, and again, I'm really Did dubbing it down there. Did they have that? Oh, no. No, no, no. Okay. You would have known. So yeah. again, for those listeners that are going in, I'm I'm dubbing this down to probably a three right now, right? Okay. I'm not going to get into open guns in its entirety because- you could see my enthusiasm. Oh, yeah, sure. Yeah. <laughs> uh, but you, like you want to go 11. Oh, I want to go 11. Uh, but you put a compensator at the end of those pistols. That's an open gun. Uh, that is going to keep you shooting just flat, 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 flat. It's awesome. So there's different divisions, but they're mostly all going to be chambered in nine. And you shoot. So I shoot. You shoot open sight, too. But I, you do use a red dot. Okay, so just so people don't get confused, open guns typically have optics on the handgun. Oh. What he, what Steve meant, what open sight is iron sight. Yeah. So I was shooting an iron sight firearm. But you do um, both. I do both. So I, I had uh, the week before nationals, both my primary and my backup, uh, red dot went down in the same week before nationals. So I went back to irons and I just haven't gotten the gumption to buy two more. 
And because I live on the road, right, the warranty thing, it doesn't really matter because shipping is a nightmare. So, yay, they warrantied it. So I have one sitting in New Hampshire somewhere. You got to predict where you're going to be and have it meet you there. Yeah. I mean, I don't know where I'm going to be to take care of break? How are you breaking all those? I had a red dot and my kid broke it in like five minutes. (laughs) What? Well, yeah, because like, like, here's a glass thing to put on the end of a gun. Like, what do you think he's going to do with it? That's no excuse. He instantly broke it. He broke it in two ways. Like, broke it twice. That what? Completely unrelated breaks. Wow. Because, I mean, you... Well, stripped the head on, stripped some of the hardware. He's an animal. Well, and then broke the glass. You should have him do R- and then know, acted R&D like he, for these then companies. And acted like he didn't know what happened. Wow. That's impressive. Well, I am really rough on, on this stuff, and um, mine just broke sort of... Because I think that it's over time, right? So the electronic component was no longer functioning. So what happened is it would turn on and I would think it was on. I'd start to engage targets and then um, the dot would just disappear, which Mm. is really inconvenient when you're in the middle of the stage. Yeah. Yeah. And that happened to both. That makes you kind of like iron sights. Just the reliability. Yeah, I know. It's sad. Um, Ask some more pistols. You got more. Uh, Yanni, Yanni, he kind of, he, he might have another Hopefully pistol that explains question. You got any more pistol, pistol questions? A lot. No, no, I think we're pretty, I was just going to say we can move on to the uh, shotgun. Yeah, the shotgun. Well, we're going in backwards order, I guess. It doesn't matter. It, it yeah. could be whatever you want. We yeah, can... you taught us in backwards order. Uh, why do you say that? Because <clears throat> we started with. Yeah, but yeah, the re- oh, she, she because had of a the stage. I know, she but had a reason. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I had my reasons for yeah. that. So what Steve was saying is that I, you know, the stage we shot today was rifle, shotgun, then pistol. But that's not but fixed either. It can be. No, an, it can be. that was just today. Okay, um, gotcha. But I taught them pistol, rifle, then shotgun. So that's why he's saying I taught backwards. But anyways, that's a different conversation. I had reasons yep. for why I did that. So Johnny's sh- new nickname is Teacup. <laughs> Teacup. By the way. I love that. I think it fits you very well. Well, I told him earlier that it was going to really suck to get whooped and burned by, by a old dude tea, named by old Teacup. Teacup. And uh, guess what happened? Teacup won. <laughs> How does that feel? What was my stage name? Oh, wait, wait, wait. Facebox. No. Facebox. Facebox. This is good. Yeah. yeah. I, I poured dribbled tea all over your face box, buddy. <laughs> I am so sorry. This just brought up a lot of really weird images. <laughs> and we'll step right. away from that. So the shotgun. Shotgun. That is, uh, people ask me all the time, what's your favorite gun? And I hate answering that. Didn't you say that earlier? Someone asked you, like, yes. what's your... Because it depends on the application, right? So it's all dependent upon the situation as to what my quote-unquote favorite gun. But I will say if I'm having a bad day, the shotgun will always make me happy. It There's just something so fun about that scatter gun. And the other thing is I do think it's really versatile, right? So the shotgun, um, you could do uh, close quarter stuff with it, right? Um, you could do home defense. You could go hunting with it. You have uh, bird shot. You have slugs. You have, you know, buckshot. And then you could choke it to different patterns. So there is a lot of versatility with that firearm. Uh, but the shotguns that we use for three gun are semi-automatic. Uh, there's some heavy metal guys that like to torture themselves with pump. Uh, but that's very, very rare in this competition. Uh, most everyone's going to be semi automatic fire um for the shotgun and then uh, 12 real, gauge. real quick on that on the, on yeah. the heavy metal guys mm-hmm. um so a pump a guy could theoretically be competing i should point out to people that they're competing for time mm. like mm-hmm. you have to hit the targets but it's like doing mm-hmm. it all really quickly so a, a person would go toe to toe 
with a slide action shotgun, they'd go toe to toe with someone shooting a semi auto mm-hmm. and still have a prayer to win. If they're good enough, there's very, very few people that are good enough to do mm-hmm. that. Uh, but there are one or two out there who who do. And you have to have the shotgun for it, right? Because as y'all know, there's some pump action shotguns that are just smooth as butter. It's like it practically does it for you. Yep. And then there's others that like forget about it. <laughs> like that's not happening. Uh, so semi-automatic and then 12 gauge. Um, technically per the rules, uh, some like 20 gauge would be acceptable, but no one does that. You're just giving yourself less BBs to have on target. And in my personal experience, a 12 and a 20 gauge uh, when you're shooting semi-automatic shotguns have about the same amount of recoil. Um, so I don't see the benefit. Yeah, I've said it before and I'll say it a thousand times more. If you got a family and you got people that rely on you, you need to take life insurance seriously. And Policy Genius is the country's leading online insurance marketplace. So with Policy Genius, you can find life insurance policies that start at just $292 per year for a million dollars in coverage. Some options offer same-day approval and avoid unnecessary medical exams. Your life insurance policy, you know, that you get at work may not offer enough protection for your family's needs. Policy Genius gives you unbiased advice from a licensed expert support team. Now, this is super convenient, right? Because a lot of times, you know, something like life insurance, you're just going to put it off because you're like, when will I ever have time to do that? I don't even know who to talk to about it. Well, this helps you do it online. Okay, again, you're comparing options from top companies, all right? Check life insurance off your to-do list in no time with Policy Genius. Head to policygenius.com or click the link in the description to get your free life insurance quotes and see how much you could save. That's policygenius.com. Hey, you know when you take uh, some time to clean out, uh, let's say, like clean out your garage, and you're like, man, how was I living like that with that place such a mess? Well, check this out. If you've been paying a fortune for wireless, and then you switch over to Mint Mobile and get plans for $15 a month when you purchase a three-month plan, you'll be saying, how was I ever affording to do that way I did it before? It's time to switch, okay, to Mint Mobile and get unlimited talk, text, and data for $15 a month. All plans come with high-speed data and unlimited talk and text delivered on the nation's largest 5G network. To get this new customer offer and get your new three-month unlimited wireless plan for just 15 bucks a month, go to mintmobile.com slash meat eater. That's mintmobile.com slash meat eater, and you will cut your wireless bill to 15 bucks a month. Again, mintmobile.com slash meat eater. It's a $45 upfront payment required, which is the equivalent to $15 per month. New customers on first three-month plan only. Speed slower above 40 gigabytes on unlimited plan. Additional taxes, fees, and restrictions apply. See Mint Mobile for details. Now, a lot of you guys are familiar with the old hunting tradition of eating, you know, some organ, the heart or a chunk of liver off the first animal you kill. I had that when I was a little kid and it was a big deal. Organ meats were always prized by frontier people who knew the importance of getting a lot of different minerals and nutrients. And as often is the case, those guys were on to something because organs are among the most nutrient-rich foods on the planet. And you can get the same benefits your ancestors craved via 
convenient daily capsules from Heart and Soil made exclusively from regeneratively raised, grass-fed, and finished cattle. Heart and Soil's unique freeze-drying process means all those important nutrients are trapped in, ensuring you experience every one of the benefits of nature's superfood in a clean, convenient, taste-free capsule. Find out more at heartandsoil.co and make sure to use code MEATEATER for 10% off your purchase. That's heartandsoil.co. Use the code MEATEATER. With an extended tube. Oh, that. That extends out the end so far that I thought that your shotgun was going to hit the tube. Yeah, right. The, the gun was going to actually blow the end of the magazine off. It does not. Because it's sticking out yeah. way past the barrel. It is. So these shotguns <laughs> look... Like a solid foot, right? They look really crazy. A 14-shot tube. It's all it's all tube. It's it's all the tube is what you're seeing. So the barrel is a normal length barrel. If anything, it might be slightly shorter than what you would use for like sporting clays or whatever. Uh, but the tube is is yeah. It's is, it, it's is that a 26 inch barrel for on yours? Mm, or is it 28? Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. No, 26. 20, yeah, 28 is like way too long for this game. There's no use for it because most everything that we do is pretty close yeah. with the shotgun, right? You might get some aerial clay presentations, but it's so far and few in between. You're not wanting to because the maneuverability factor because that. Mag tube is already so long. I mean, you don't want to add the weight because weight is a big factor. Yeah. You get very so fatigued. I mean, Corinne, you know, because oh, yeah, my shoulders are. Yeah. Oh, is your shoulder uh, bruised up from shooting today? No, oh, I don't okay. think so. It was just, she you know, when, stance. when I was, uh, that, that gun just kept kind of. Yeah. Yeah. Just like stop in and, you know, and then I was like, oh, I just took breaks yeah. in the middle because my shoulders just posturing and just holding it. I was just like a little tired yeah. and I just, they got, they got Bernie. Yeah. So, yeah. Weight's, weight's huge. So I just had a whole chain of thoughts go through my head. That was probably an 11 in terms of like, ooh, all the fun accessories I have on my shotgun. So I'm going to reel it in a five. So I'm going to drop it right there. So what I shoot, just if people are curious, is a Breda B12i, which is basically the same as a. Benelli M2, okay. right? Which is very comparable to what you were shooting today with Weatherby, very similar platform. But with a aftermarket, like specialized. Everything. Yeah. Oh. Yeah. So, so you strip um, it down and put all new parts on it. A, a lot of it. Yeah. So uh, I, Dissident Arms is a very, very common aftermarket company in the competition world. So that crazy handguard, uh, the, the trigger guard, the trigger, you know, everything. And then Briley, which y'all probably know just from regular shotgun shooting. Uh, there's a lot of those parts into it. So it's pretty, it's pretty juiced up. It's pretty fun. Yep. Yeah. So you spend a lot of time wrenching on your gun. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay. it's fun. That's uh, that's what we do. And are, are there rules and regs about what you can do to your firearms? Mm-hmm. Uh, I mean, I would imagine because then people might have unfair advantages. But yes. you know, are, is it is it very structured? Is it very kind of boundaried around what you can and can't do? Or people can get really creative and. Uh, so yes and no. Again, it's it's hard not to spend. And I don't want to, you know, spend the entire time because I could talk like for probably an hour talking about the different divisions and what's acceptable within those mm-hmm. divisions. But in a nutshell, open, which we talked about before, that has a compensator, that has the optic. You could pretty much do whatever you want. Hence, open. It's open to possibilities. You could do whatever you want um, as long as it's safe. Right. So 
Some people will get really, really into their trigger work and they'll make it too light. And so now the gun is unsafe because they breathe on it mm. and the trigger's going off. Oh, wow. so they mind. That's a problem. So the, wow. the whatever That's the hell, what's, it's not a league, but whatever, there is some governing body that checks 100%. on it. Yeah. yeah, 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 100%. Uh, and, and the same, so it just goes upon the division that you're in is dependent. So with shotgun, mag-fed shotguns are huge now. I would say about three, four years ago. What's if, a mag-fed shotgun? Uh, so you know how the, the pistol and the rifle, oh, those are magazine fed with magazines. Got, so, got it. Oh, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> it's the lingo. But that's the thing is, again, I am used to talking to people who this is also their world. So I love questions like that because I forget about how much is our lingo. Well, plus, there's no like there's no mag fed shotguns. Oh, not, yeah, not, I should say no in, in like in the, it's in not the mainstream in, in the in the hunting world. <laughs> there are very because awesome. I mean like unless you go back to the old like they used to be mag fed bolt action shotguns. Yeah, we had a couple of those laying around. Yes, but just so like just rare. Right. Well, yeah. so two three years ago, someone came up to a competition with a mag fed shotgun. Everyone would sort of brush it off because we're like they're going to have so many malfunctions anyways. They're not going to be competitive. Where now people show up with a mag fed shotgun, it's gained popularity incredibly uh it's serious business as someone who's shooting a tube fed shotgun we can't really compete with that so again that's why we have different divisions right i want to explain so, i want to explain quad loading real quick oh my god your face so <laughs> that was priceless. taylor has like a highly accessorized like a, a belt that holds all the magazines yeah. it's like a tool belt very sophisticated tool belt and on it is the thing that holds how many what holds shotgun eight shotgun eight. shells uh so Y'all's had eight. Um, mine, I have two. I have one for eight, one for 12. Okay. And it stacks them so that you can just reach down blind. I don't want to try to get too much detail here. You can reach down blind and pull away four shotgun shells stacked like a stack of two and a stack of two. And, and, and the stack is end to end. End to end stacked. So you're holding... Your your hand is gripped around four shotgun shells stacked end to end. Then she, like, in a, in a sort of moment of magic, <laughs> turns the shotgun upside down so the so the feeding apparatus is facing up. Sure. And then yeah. loads with one press of the thumb. These are just freehand shotgun shells. Loads with one press of the thumb two into the tube, and then. Two into the tube, but in like yeah. a like a couple seconds. I don't know what the hell. Yeah, it is. so no, it's less than that. It's like a I don't know. It's three it's tenths about, of it's a like second. Two shells. Two no, shells. No. <laughs> yeah, we were talking about tenths earlier because in competition shooting we talk in tenths a lot, and they're like, "What? You're that? You're down to that level?" And I'm like, "Oh yeah, okay, all right. Let's reel it back up to seconds." But yeah, but quad and, loading is really something. I could is. picture yeah, a world awesome. duck hunting where. It'd just be two that you'd have one of those things hooked yeah. to your the, the shoulder strap on your waders. Do it. And just... Yeah. Instead of like digging around in your pockets and shit looking for them, you'd just be like, wham! It's so much more efficient. And, and that's what's funny is coming in today. So normally people... The... And again, this is where I could talk about this stuff forever, the evolution of loading a shotgun, because used to people would feed them in with their thumb one by one, which is maybe even how y'all do it right now. I, yeah. don't, I don't know. Yeah. Um, and you then grab it, a cup in your hand and you yeah, fumble and you around, thumb drop it in. one, load one. Yeah. Oh, forget that stuff. And then uh, dual loading. So used to, because I could dual load uh, like eight rounds in about, I would say, you know, 
four to five seconds, something like that, right? Which is very respectable. And in my opinion, because I have really small hands, I was like, if I could consistently dual load, then what's the what is it worth to start quad loading? Because it could go wrong real side, you know, sideways real quick. Um, but like if you fumble the shells. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah. Um, but if you become proficient at quad loading, then you're that much more competitive. So coming in today, I'm like, am I going to make these guys quad load? And then I'm like, hell. Yeah. Oh, no, it was good to know. Yeah, you yeah. guys have got to quad low. There's no excuse. I'm not going to start you off at these baby steps. We're just going for it. And I'm so happy because the look on your face, you were like, <gasps> I could just see you being somewhere hunting. And you're like, I need a quad you know, load. You know where that will come in handy is on like a no plug snow goose hunt. Mm-hmm. Or even just like, just do not, you can't quad load with for ducks because it's the three shell maximum, but you can still dual load. Not for sure. Oh, yeah. I mean, if you imagine and just that whole, sorry to interrupt, but just like the different, um, the way you flip your gun up and then how you put your thumb and orient your thumb and the way you push it in there, you're a lot less apt to get like the, the messed up thumb. Mm. from jamming it in too mm-hmm. far like everybody gets at some point you know your thumbs are cold out there in the duck blind and this is just like a much more efficient way yeah. to get that business done with okay hit us with the rifle now okay the rifle so the rifle is almost always going to be ar platform uh rifle it chambered in five five six there's no, be no way to hold your own with any other thing Oh, I mean, people do it again. Like I, you know, mentioned earlier, people come out with you know, fun like uh, Enfields or M1 Garands or whatever. They're having fun, but that's the most competitive platform. That's what most everyone's going to do, regardless if you're in a limited, an open class or uh, tactical class. Most everyone is shooting uh, an AR that's chambered in two, two, three, five, five, six. That's really it. The the other people who are shooting different. You know, rifles that those are the outliers. Those those are typically your heavy metal guys that are just like, we're here to have fun. I got my grandpa's gun and we're, you know, the bayonet. Remember, you nearly Giannis nearly mm-hmm. stabbed a target. It was impressive. Uh, yeah. So they'll put their bayonets on and have fun. <laughs> uh, and is, is it always is it it's not always scoped, right? Like you can use a red dot, too. Correct. So if you are shooting limited, you have a that is an unscoped rifle. Uh, and limited. So you have iron sights. And then, so I used to shoot limited. I did it with a red dot, which is unmagnified. So I've literally just got that one little dot. So they'll let you use a red dot and limited. Correct. Yep. And then just no magnification. There's no magnification. It's just a dot. Um, And then when you go up to tactical, which is what we were doing, then that's when you introduce magnification. So today, uh, I think there, so Vortex, we had this Strike Eagle, which is, I should know because I had one years ago, but it's like a one to six, I think. Yeah. Um, And then all the way up to the new Vortex Razor, which is a one to 10. Mm -hmm. And that's a, that's a beautiful scope. And on that, I don't know if this is uh, something I think people that hunt will appreciate is, you guys have a little contraption for dialing magnification. Like, normally when you dial magnification on a scope... That accessory piece that Travis Oh, makes. the cattail. Yeah. Yeah, you got to grab it like you're trying to kill a chicken. <laughs> when Normally when you go to dial, when you go to dial magnification. But you guys hook that little lever on there. Yeah. Which just lets you like, whoop. Yeah. See, you get like a major mechanical all advantage. All these yeah. things that... Yanni walked, us- I don't know if you noticed, he walked away with one of those. Oh, you did? Yeah. Ooh. <laughs> I don't know what he's going to do with it. <laughs> this slow nod is what's going to be right now. I'm, he's I'm, like, oh, yeah, I I'm did. sick of uh, trying to kill chickens when I want to dial up. Yeah. No, it makes dialing up, like, really gives you, like, a strong yeah. lever. Yeah. 
Yeah. Absolutely. You can't. No. Why would you not? I mean, but that's the thing is that we tend to get into our gear. That's why earlier I was so enthusiastic about talking about all this stuff because we are a, how do you say, um, like Yankee ingenuity. If you yeah. think of it, you could kind of figure it out. Yeah. And the, the, the quick dial, what was the name brand on that quick dial? View change? View? What was it? Ooh, I wish I had mine with me. Either way. Yeah. Cattail, right? Yes. Looks like a cat's tail hanging yep. off there. Reason that comes in handy is the first thing you got to do when they say go is you got to shoot three targets at 100 yards. They're like eight inch plates, mm-hmm. eight inch steel. Yep. And then you got to also shoot a bunch of shit that's super close. Mm-hmm. So you might dial up to make the 100 yard shot good, but then you got to really quickly be ready for like short shots. Yeah, and so that yeah. saves you a lot of fiddle farting around having that cattail. It does. But I imagine even for the hunting world, there could be great application for having to do Yeah, a quick but then it's just like stuff to catch on stuff. And That's true. Just... But the ones that you have, that, that top half, the, the part that you grip onto folds down. Mm-hmm. No, he, he did. He he, like I said, he walked away with one. Yeah. It's going to be great. Yeah. But it is, it is interesting. There is a lot of, I think, things that could potentially go from the competition shooting world into the hunting world. Yeah. But oh, no, I was paying attention to that. I was looking, <laughs> I was, I was looking for technological you're ta- transfer. You're taking notes. Uh, and I think just like some of the, the mind frame stuff, you know, mm-hmm. like just like staying calm under pressure, all that kind of stuff is mm-hmm. helpful. But uh, you, didn't, you didn't grow up shooting guns. No. No. Like almost the opposite, right? In a way, I mean, because I grew up in Houston. It's a huge city. And even though it's in Texas, like, it's not – not everyone in Texas has, like, a gun per se. Were your parents, like, gun-friendly people? Oh, they were fine with it. Yeah. I mean, if you live in Texas, even if you are in Austin, which is the most liberal city in Texas, there's an assumption that firearms are still okay. Um, like, where in New England, if you go to some of the states there, uh, like like especially Massachusetts, you start talking about guns, like people will have, you know, act like you have three heads. Yeah, it's like a general kind of naughtiness. It's Yeah, yeah. you feel it's like a taboo, which is absolutely terrible. Uh, but I did not grow up with firearms. Um, like you grew up like no guns in the house. No guns in the house at all. Yeah. Hmm. And uh, moving to New Hampshire. Is that normal or not? Do more Amer- – I bet you more American households mm-hmm. don't than do. I grew up in New York City. My was parents. a gun in the house? Mm-hmm. Plenty. I was – I did not say anything to anybody. Ever. Yeah. Yeah, definitely <laughs> taboo there. You're like, no, I got a whole bunch of them. <laughs> 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 Hidden under my parents' bed. Yeah, no rights. Oh, my God. Don't talk about that. Um, were you asking if it's common for people not to grow up with firearms to – No, I was just wondering, like, the split. Easy, uh, easy, easy to look up. Well, but, uh, it's it's changing now. Sixty percent of new firearm purchases are people who didn't have guns before. Hmm. So that it's definitely changing. Hmm. Yeah, yeah. So whatever that that number was, it's it's different now. Yeah, yeah, yep. But uh, I mean, my so my stepdad used to hunt. Uh, when we moved to New Hampshire, it was because my you know my mom and my stepdad got married. Um, but his version of hunting was like he would take his uh, like muzzle loader and walk around in the woods. It was like a stroll, like a leisurely stroll. He got a deer, I think, like fifteen plus years ago, once. Um, I'm so sorry, David. But that's how he. Would, I love that's, you. <laughs> but th- that was his group. Like take a muzzle loader, go out, sneak around in the snowy woods. Yeah, and, yeah, but he never shared that. That was never a part of anything. He didn't so. drag you along. No, no, I was never a part of any of that. Did he like actively not invite you or just? He would just disappear in the morning. I mean, he would wake up early and he was gone. Just, and then he was catching a moment. He man. would show back up. Yeah, he yeah. was having his moment. So, yeah. I mean, whatever. No hard feelings because I, you know, I used to race motocross. I had like my own thing going on. So I. Well, you were into dirt not, bikes. 
Uh, well, so I actually, you saw how tall I am. I raced four wheelers. So if I raced a dirt bike, I would have been sandbagging on like a 70cc with a whole bunch of 12 year olds. So with a four wheeler, I could ride a 450 and be with, you know, normal adult aged people. And you got, in, <laughs> you, you got into that in New Hampshire. Yeah. Yeah. Well, because behind uh, our house, which is in Dumbart, New Hampshire, uh, it, it's all conservation land. It's called Clough State Park. And Clough State Park is a huge ATV uh, trail system. And so I got into it from there. So I would ride my quad right from uh, right from my mom's house into the state park. So are you like when you were growing up, so you did that competitively? Yeah. All right. Yeah. Are you sort of in your head like if you're going to do something, it, it just turns into competition? Are you getting the sense? So when I used to do before uh, leaving Houston, uh, kickboxing was big. So I had actually so you qualified. Liked, you like to have like a, a winner. You have to. You yeah. like to do shit where there's winners. Uh, yeah. Well, so <laughs> kickboxing, I actually qualified for the Junior Olympics. Uh, what shit? Yeah. But we couldn't, uh, we couldn't afford it because the Olympic trials were, I think, in Michigan or something like that. And so, we, I mean, we couldn't afford to go. And then my mom was like, and we're moving to New Hampshire and there's no good dojos up there. I mean, I'm sure that they're... Maybe was, but not to the caliber that I was used to yeah. before. We know? had a, we had a guy we worked with for a while, and he was a he was a, a skier and was wanted to be competitive. Mm. And we were talking about Olympic skiing and all that, and and he was saying something interesting that there's a point at which your ability to like as a young skier, there's a point at which your ability to be competitive is tied to the economics of your family. Yeah, because he's like for sure rich kids. They ski six months of the year in North America, and then they spend six months of the year in New Zealand. And he's like, you're not going to catch those kids skiing no. six months a year. No. It's just, it's just like there's a, there's a major function of just like, can you afford to be good? Which is kind of disheartening. It is. Yeah. It is. Um, but I think that if those those people who are naturally talented, even if they come from bad economic backgrounds, if they have the gumption to market themselves appropriately, they they could yield that economic benefit. Got to have might sass. Be. Y- y- you do. <laughs> <laughs> I'm so sorry. I just got an image of all these cowboy shooters and Steve just being like, "Look at you, sassy people." <laughs> Uh, but yeah, I mean, and, and again, I don't see. So this is what happens when you shoot three gun. You come home with a whole bunch of random ammo, like in your pockets. TSA loves that. <laughs> yeah, no, that, that's, they why do you, not. that's why you travel the country, uh, living in, in a camper. Oh, yeah, a camper. No t- yeah, deal with TSA. I don't deal with TSA. Mm. Well, I still deal with TSA because I, I do still fly. Uh, but so I'm actually I'm coming out with a piece. Um, I'm not sure when it's publishing about driving and traveling cross country with firearms. Yeah, tell people where you write for. Uh, So I write for guns.com. I cover all their competition-related content, and I do kind of other fun stuff as well, whether if it's reviewing firearms or talking about, uh, again, what it's like traveling across country with firearms. Like instructional how-to gear reviews. Yeah, Yeah. and it's not as bad as as, as people think. You just have to uh, be smart, you know, lock your guns um, in a separate compartment. So if you're in a car, it's in your trunk. If you're in an SUV, just keep it out of reach, right? And then have your ammo in a separate compartment that's also locked. Don't have any magazines preloaded. Every state is different. Some states, all that stuff is fine. Yeah, but you're given the recipe to how to be just cool going from state to state to state. To go anywhere. Yeah. Yeah, that's the recipe for for anywhere. And other than that, um, I always keep a copy of FOPA and uh, the, the glove box in my car. What's so that? that? Uh, Firearms Owners Protection Act. So okay. that is the law um, that protects you from going from one state to the other. So if you are illegal in point Because a, you might be in a situation where you need to explain it to somebody. Well, so let's say we're leaving New Hampshire and I came down south. Um, 
so New York, New Jersey, mm-hmm. all Massachusetts, all those states, everything I own is illegal in those states, but I'm protected by FOPA to drive through those states. And you could stop for gas and stuff like that, right? But you're, you're good. You're good to go. I could drive through all of those states perfectly fine because of FOPA. So I keep that documentation. Um, and I mean, I, I love law enforcement. So I won't say anything. Th- th- that's interesting about FOPA. So yeah. Like I, I didn't know the I, I knew I know of the thing, but I, I never heard that acronym. No, but um, you can drive through. But I, I remember hearing that people get in trouble because you can like somehow you could be. It, it doesn't count if you go into New York and then fly out of a New York airport. Because so I was talking to these law enforcement mm-hmm. guys, were saying they're always. People are always getting in yeah. trouble coming down from Pennsylvania, coming down from places, flying out of JFK, LaGuardia, mm-hmm. and they they can like travel through legally, but they go to like they're but now they're in they're in the city, mm. and so or they're in what's like gathered up by the city, the sure. port authority. So then there you are with a gun checking it on an airplane, and you don't have the necessary permit to have a gun in the city somehow in their view. And I don't know if this just needs to be challenged. I, I noticed, like, I know that it's an issue. I don't know if it's constitutional or, or, or legal, but in their view, you had stepped out of those protections at that moment that you went to check it onto a plane. Sure. I would have to research I that. Never under, like, I, I never got into it enough to understand like how yeah. that's true, but it's like you could drive past the airport, but the minute you go to check that gun hmm. in that thing, it's like not your. I don't know, it's, it's out of your like car. You're I don't know. What, I would have from, to. I don't know how they viewed it, it, but it would be that. Huh. The, but their thing was, and it was always people being like, "But I thought," and like, "No, dude, because you're standing here right now checking this gun in. It's not the same thing as you traveling through with it in your car." I would still. I would personally question that now. So FOPA does specify interstate travel. It doesn't stay like like when I. And sorry, maybe that's my accent interstate yeah. like as in the highway it does specify that so maybe it does get different yeah like you took it out you, you got it out but of your car and you're you know whatever again i i would question it and there there's so much more that we could dig into this so for instance i flew out of california recently um so in california most of my firearms are illegal right but i'm there for competition reasons so there is a actual um i forget what they call it not not a law but you know there's a provision that if you're there for competition reasons then you're good and so i could fly Wait, so can and I you could drive. shoot a competition in california yeah really? yeah i know i was very skeptical huh. uh but a thousand percent so so they have like uh, again, you know, whether if it's considered a law or a bill or whatever, where if you're there for competition reasons, you you could have those those firearms that people generally have thought were were not legal in California. So I flew out of California recently with all my guns. But for anyone who's flying, I recommend you just to take everything apart because no one at the airline understands anything of what you're carrying on you. I mean, they they really they they have no clue. So just take everything apart, make sure it's safe. And for the most part, you're not going to get questioned. Yeah. I'll point out to people because I don't want this stuff to be, I don't want this stuff to then discourage people from doing what they want to do. And like, they're like, get overwhelmed Mm. by the complexity of the law. There are a ton of resources online to help you navigate. Yep. Like to help you stay on the right side of the law. Um, It's it's like, it sounds like intimidating and complicated, but in practice, um, in practice, when you're generally like going from somewhere to somewhere, like you're going to Canada, whatever, 
it, it, it seems intimidating, but when you go and do it, it winds up being fine. It's, it's not. Like, it's easy to find the resources you need. Right. And, it's, and, you know, it's not like people waiting at every corner to be like, gotcha. You know, you screwed this up. It just it just doesn't have that feel to it. Exactly. And, of course, right, there's a disclosure that it's up to people to do their own research to make sure that they are doing the legal thing, right? Don't use the podcast as your guidance for yeah. well, I how. Heard. <laughs> I heard a meat eater. Where did you hear this? This is what I should do. So, anyways, do your research. But at the end of the day, it's actually really easy. Um, and for the most part, you know, law enforcement or anyone you might run into, to be honest, most of them have no idea what they're looking at. There, there are some out there who are super, super educated and a lot of them even compete. Uh, but for the most part, they, they don't know what they're looking at. And you're probably more educated about it than they are. But let's that's, that's like a funny little, yeah, I want to get back to bio, but like a funny yeah. little charade you need to go through at some airports is they want to inspect it. Oh, oh. And you open it yeah. up and, and like, they, wow. like they're not even pretending to know, but they're like, they know that they're like the air, the, the person checking you in. Knows that they're supposed to like inspect it, but they also know that they're not going to bullshit themselves. Like they don't know what they're looking at. So like you open it, they look down and like, eh, sure, sure. You close it back up because they're like, I don't know what the hell I'm looking for. They have no idea, yeah. and it's like because they want to feel like they're doing the right thing. They're I like, think like, I think yes, that's what's happening. Uh, that appears to be a gun. That is a gun. <laughs> you can close that back up. And be that's out all your they way. do. They just look at it and they're kind of like. You know, <laughs> and this look it's goes not over. a dead snake. <laughs> it's like, no. <laughs> and sometimes when they want you to show clear, it's like, okay, well, what position? Where do you want me to point this to show you that my firearm is unloaded? Because yeah, your, we're in the middle of the At airport. your kneecap right. on the scale. <laughs> and But normally when you... Um, Normally, when you do that, they're just kind of like, oh, um, no, 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 it's fine. But I've known some competition shooters, who'll, they'll take their AR right out and remember that charging handle. They go just go whack a whack a whack a whack <laughs> in the middle of the airport, just be like, yep, it's clear. Well, I think that's why most people that do have to do that are very like, yeah. You open it, they're like, hey, it looks, looks good to me. Yeah. Let's not get the gun out and play with it. <laughs> Let's just put it back in the little box. Oh, that kills me. Uh, okay, so not many guns growing up. No, no, no. Then no. all of a sudden, you're like, I'm going to get me a gun. Uh, well, so almost. Yeah. So um, I had gotten out of a long-term relationship, my high school sweetheart. Uh, what I happened was there? 23. Um, I mean, you just, it's, when you're dating someone from 16 to your early 20s, really? it, it just imagine. Really? You guys met in high school? Well, technically he was homeschooled and I wasn't, but I always say high school sweetheart because it's easier for people to rationalize Well, how'd you it. meet him? It, it was like at a party, you know, it was just like so a. So he would party. <laughs> well, here's the thing. A lot of people homeschool their kids because they don't want them to party. Yeah, it, well, a lot of people. He's oh, a partying oh. homeschooled. No, he it's like a, a big part of homeschooling. Not this is not universal. It's a so that big kids part of homeschooling party. is they don't want their kids to find out about. It's they like don't the want them to find out about dirty daughter. words. They're gonna do. Yeah, they don't want them the to party. Opposite. They don't want them to like. What? know about certain things. It's kind of a way to be like, I want my kid to just know about what I tell them. Steve, what mm. other socializing would they get if they didn't go to parties? They're not so, in school with other yeah, kids I mean, all day. <laughs> you know what I mean? Yeah, it's just a, it's like a way to control what goes into their little brain. Yeah, well, yeah. I mean, his parents did it for different reasons just because they didn't feel that the public school system was doing, you know, the, the best education. Yeah, yeah. But that's, you know, whatever. Uh, I'm, that's just be, I'm just speaking just of a segment of that world. So when you say, like, I was Steve partying with the home... your love life. When no, I was partying, partying with the homeschoolers, homeschool. it just seems funny to me. I think we should maybe name this episode Partying with Homeschoolers. <laughs> or Running with Guns. I don't know. I can't decide. Running with running Guns, guns <laughs> is right it's there. It's there. It's way more fun. It you like that better than Partying with Homeschoolers? Yeah. So there you were. You're partying with a homeschooler at 16. Yeah, yeah. And was, uh, he, was he drinking? Um, no, I don't think so. Actually, oh, so I don't okay. know. Yeah, I don't know. So he's like, no, no, I'm cool. 
and you met him, started dating. Yeah, we started dating. And then it's like any relationship when you're in your early 20s where, you know, there's just immaturity, right? There, mm-hmm. There's jealousy. There's immaturity. You're not mature as a person. They're not mature as a person. And you you grow out of it. So I, I had gotten out of that relationship. And I remember it was like heck to find a place for me to live by myself. I looked, You guys were living together. Well, yeah, I was 23. I'm yeah. not, you know, going to be at my mom's with my boyfriend. <laughs> like, yeah, but you did. So, so, um, you're not married now. No. Okay. No. Okay. Yeah. So I'm. I'm sorry if I'm not within the traditionalist. Oh no! Cute. No, no, I'm just <laughs> like, Give me no. a break. I'm always, I'm always curious about whether people are married or not. Yeah. So you guys split up, couldn't find a place. Yeah, and I ended up finding one place I fell in love with in Salisbury, New Hampshire. So Salisbury, New Hampshire has no police department. And so now living by myself for the first time as a single female, I'm like, okay, well, if something happens, I'll die 911 and the closest state trooper will show up whenever he can. And I don't know when that's going to be. Like tomorrow morning. <laughs> Tomorrow morning. We got someone heading out that way tomorrow. (laughs) Pretty much. (laughs) And that's when I looked into buying my first firearm. And uh, so in high school, um, I actually, I used to wrestle again with the the fighting background. Um, And one of my assistant coaches, I knew he used to do competition shooting. I reached out to him. Chris Mullins, his name. He's a sweetheart. Oh, to be like, hey, if you were going to buy a gun, what would you? What would I do? Because I didn't know what to do. I mean, like I said, my stepdad was just not, you know, like a gun person. He hunts once in a while. And uh, so I reached out to him and he was just like, hey, um, you know, I have a couple of firearms. So it was a Glock 17 and a Breda 92FS. You could try them out. And then I actually work at a gun shop. So if you want to buy one after, I could sell you one. So I was like, great. Hold on, who worked at a gun shop? My friend. Oh, so I got confused between your dad and your – you called the, the – the, the, My friend. The trainer. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Who yeah. also liked to shoot. Yes. Uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay, so sorry. it worked out. So it worked out really great, and that's that's when I bought my first firearm, uh, which was a uh, Glock 17. Um, and actually, so I had a like a false start before that. I went into a gun shop and I told them I wanted something for self defense. And I'm sure there's if there's any women listening to this podcast who've tried to buy a gun for the first time, maybe they could relate. Um, I said I wanted self defense and target practice. Uh, and self defense, what I mean by that is home defense, not concealed carry, but just home defense. Um, at the time, I couldn't imagine myself concealed carrying. And so they showed me a Sig Mosquito. If you know what a Sig Mosquito is, it's like... Its name implies smallness. And it does. <laughs> yeah. Implies... And it was pink. And I uh. bore the color pink. And I just felt so insulted by the guy. I so is he like, little lady, here's... I got just a yeah, thing for you. He's like, yeah. I, my daughter has one of these and I love it. And I'm like, oh my God. Like, do you, what? Did you not hear what I just told you? I want something for home defense and target practice. And you're showing me this little 380, whatever. So I got the Glock 17, um, shot with that for a little while and actually really started enjoying it. So I used to go to the firing line by myself and just practice. Um, and and I, I thought... Again, it was just it was different when you go to an indoor public fire in line. The people who go there, as opposed to when I joined a club, a mm-hmm. gun club, it's a super different mindset. Would you get like hit on by guys just nonstop if you went down by yourself to shoot a pistol at a gun club? Um, are I they mean, like she's here? Look, she must be here looking for a man. No, well, I think I had a serious enough attitude to where I kind of thwarted a lot of people. Yeah. Um, I sometimes I feel like I'm not. Like you were there to shoot. Yeah, like I put on my game face. Like I'm not there, you know what I mean, with a V-cut shirt so it's catching all your hot brass or heels or any of that. Because there's definitely women that I've seen at the firing line where I'm like – you Hot brass. So- Keep that in mind, Corinne. If, we, if we don't go with, uh, yeah. we don't go with <laughs> that, like, partying with homeschoolers. Right hot brass. These two scars. That's Done. hot brass uh, from from the AR. <laughs> Are you and actually, this this too. That's hot brass. 
Yeah, so oh, when you, you when you shoot off of a uh, a barrier, sometimes what will happen is it will hit that wall and it will come back and it will get you. And so, so you got little my... scars on your shoulder from hot brass. Yeah, oh, yeah. that's, yep. Yeah, there's all sorts of other stuff, huh. yeah, that it injures you. Uh, but the point being is, uh, no, but that But that when you were down there at the shooting range initially, yeah. you were just like, I'm just going to learn how to use this thing. Yeah, that was it. And then you kind of got like, I want to be better and better because yeah. I have to compete and I'm super competitive. Well, I wasn't, oh, well. <laughs> <laughs> I guess it was eventually yeah, going to evolve to that. To that. Right, right. Like, but you could see right away where this is going. That wasn't yeah. my that wasn't my thought, though. So what had actually happened, so I started dating someone new, um, and he was like, hey, uh, I have a clay thrower. You want to try shooting a shotgun? And I said, sure, yeah, wh- whatever. So we shot it, you know, throwing clays in the backyard. And he's like, wow, you were, like, way better than my buddy that I took out last weekend. Like, way better. And I'm like, really? Like, I don't know. You just aim it and shoot things. Like, I don't know what the problem is. And so about six months after that, again, I got more into my handgun practice. And he was like, well, I've enrolled you in your first sporting clay competition. And I was like, what? And he's like, yeah, I think you could do it. I'm like, okay. Was he into these competitions? No, no. no. So, so, technically, so he just saw like a real talent. Right, I, yeah, and yeah. so he, he put me in that, and so I stuck with Sporting Clays for a few years. And so I would say about a year after Sporting Clays, because, again, I really enjoyed my handgun. Um, and then, you know, as any— Well, what's that world like, the Sporting Clay world? In terms of? Like the, the, the competitions and stuff. Oh, it's so different. Um, so I, I love Sporting Clays. It's, like, it's much more genteel. Oh, yeah. yeah. I mean, and but the thing is that being a younger woman going into sporting clays, oh, I got all the special treatment. Like, you know, oh, you want to use my fancy side-by-side to go to the indoor bathroom as opposed to using the power to potty? Oh, yeah, go take it. Like, I don't even know who this person is. Like, that used to happen all the time. Or, I like, I would either hand carry my guns or when I got more gear, I got, like, a little buggy. They'd be like, oh, no, you, you could put your gun in my cart and stuff. So huh, And that's coming like from golf? what? That's like guys that you mean it's like guys scamming on you or guys like being like little ladies. These are the like little ladies. Like it's these are the people in your squad. So that group of people that you shoot with uh, because they they just want to help you out. They do the same thing for junior shooters. So it's like it's more of a pity play. No, it's not pity. It's like they. It's they, gentlemanly. It's gentlemanly. Okay. And they want to. I got you. It's like the equivalent of like opening the door. Exactly. Yeah. yeah. Gotcha. But the other thing, too, is that they want to encourage more women into the sport and they want to encourage youth into the sport. So any way that they could kind of sort of take care of them. Did they, you feel they that, they it was, that it was over encouraging? No, no, because no. when it came down to shooting, I mean, yeah, we meant business just yeah. because they were nice. Like, you know, and now and then didn't mean that I didn't think that they meant business otherwise. And, and is in the three gun world, it doesn't. Um, it's very different. It's not. Mm-hmm. There's no it, it's I, I could picture just from the crew. We were with mm. today. I could picture that they would be maybe better able to play equality, mm. but probably don't do the chivalry. Or is I, that not true? Okay, so sporting plays uh, is is a fun sport. It tends to be a little bit older of mm-hmm. a demographic, if you will. And I'm just generalizing. Okay, so you people out there listening, oh, who do no, sporting man, plays, I, there's right? nothing I like more than a good generalization. <laughs> way to ruffle people's feathers uh well, but it, it is it, I, like generalizations are sometimes like a little bit helpful it, right like, I, I i get the complexities but now and then otherwise that's the thing yeah i mean it's like now yeah. and then like like 
lay it on me. Like I can it's picture more, all the ways that these things right. are like it's different. Just, it's more laid back, right? And so people they have it's very typical for them to have their carts and they're smoking their you know cigar leisurely. We say cart, and, you mean a golf cart? Uh, no, I'm talking like the twenty to thirty thousand side by side, like yeah, the razors. Yeah. Oh, these guys are high rollers. Yeah, and I mean, but you have to keep in mind with sporting clays, they could have uh, you know like. Parazis that cost like twenty thousand plus dollars. Yeah, that yeah. one gun, right? So there's big money into it, and they make big money. So three gunners, we don't get paid anything for winning competitions. Sporting clay people, they do. Uh, huh. So yeah, because that's yeah. even like that's even there's you know do 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 any colleges have three gun teams yet? Because there's colleges that have sporting clay teams. Yeah, no, you're right, and uh, and to be honest, I I don't know of any, but but maybe I'd be pretty surprised. Yeah. Um, so there are colleges that have action shooting teams, mm, uh, which is generalized. So they'll shoot USPSA, which is action pistol shooting. So there are colleges with okay. that. Yeah, for sure. Um, we're three gun. We are. I don't know how to explain it. I like to think we're more of a fun crowd. Uh, but yeah, I mean, the chivalry is there. Like if you are a gentleman, you're going to be a gentleman no matter what. And I think that shooting sports tend to attract men who who like to be chivalrous right yeah but at the same time they aren't going to little lady you they they're going to assume that you know at the end of the day we're competitors right so you're a guy i'm a girl like yeah sure hold the door open for me but i'm gonna try to i'm gonna try to beat you yeah and and they recognize that but it's also a team sport too like remember when we were stage planning we were trying to we we feed off of each other so it's very supportive it's a very supportive community how many women do you encounter in this community? Um, so my social media handle is NH Three Gun Girl. I am the only girl in New Hampshire that shoots three gun. Mm. Um, <laughs> there now there are some. You could go who with the NH. I know. I've been yeah, I've been yeah. told that I, sh- I should add the in front of it. Uh, but there are some other women in New England who have picked it up, which is great. Since I started shooting in Florida, it's pretty common. Um, it's popular in Florida. Yeah, down south. It's, what are, it's much what are more some common. hot? What are hot three gun states? Uh, definitely Florida and and Texas. Those yeah. are two huge ones. Um, I'm I'm gonna say top of my mind, Florida and Texas. There's there's all sorts of other ones, right? Um, like we just had a uh, the, the pro am in North Carolina or South Carolina, one of the Carolinas. I should know because uh, I was signed up for that match. But anyways, um, <laughs> so, but you weren't able to make it. No, 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 no. Um, so there's that, and they're they're everywhere. They're everywhere, but like uh, percentage, how? and percentage wise, oh gosh, um, I, I, to be honest, I don't want to be held to a percentage, sure, but if I had to generalize, low. it's going to be low. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So I would say less than less than ten percent. And sporting oh, no kidding, clays, really? I would say so again, but it was depends. sporting clays more. Uh, was, was sporting clays greater female participants? Participate maybe slightly. Participation. But again, I don't know what other areas of the country are like. In hmm. New England, yeah. there was not a lot of women in general. Yeah. Um there so either. it was yeah. it was common for me to be the only female in a sporting clay competition. Sure. Um so And yeah. you'd compete against dudes though. Well, of course. Yeah. Yeah. So yeah well, because like, it's like there's wrestling. Not, there's, where not a, there's not enough support. If I didn't support, go against dudes, who else am I going to? Yeah, there's yeah. not enough to support like a female division. Right. Yeah. Gotcha. Exactly. Mm-hmm. And yeah. then, uh, and you stuck with that sport and clay business for how many years? Uh, a few years. Yeah. A few years. And you're and, like, but I still like to shoot the pistol. Well, so I had started researching three gun, I think, year two into it. But I spent all how that time. How many years time. ago was this now that we're in? Uh, so, like, how many years ago from today? 
years ago from today when I was in sporting clay. So it would have been 2015-ish. Okay. 2015-ish. Um, and so I started researching 3Gun and it's like awesome. I started watching YouTube and I'm like, holy smokes, I need to do this. But there's a lot of gear involved. So mm-hmm. it took me about a year plus to save up all the gear to to shoot 3Gun. I mean, and I always tell people, if you want to shoot 3Gun, show up to a match and people will lend you their gear. I'm not making this up. Oh. You could be anywhere in the country and we will take care of you. Period. The end. Email the match director beforehand. Tell them what you have and what you need, and we will put it together. I'm serious. Anywhere but in the country. When, when it, what took me, you a long time I didn't to assemble that. What I took you a long that. time to assemble the gear was like, <laughs> right. You mean saving up the money to buy it all? Well, that belt that you were talking about earlier, you described it as a tool belt. I've done some math on that. When it comes to the belt system itself and every single mag pouch and the holsters without ammo is close to four hundred dollars. Yeah. Right. Because you think every Just that Velcro. Thing. Nice well, belt. because you have all those mag pouches, yeah. and each one might be forty dollars, right? Yeah. And then your handgun holster is sixty dollars, and then you need the ELS attachments that go onto it. This is Safari Land for those of you who are listening. You know what I'm talking about, and then that costs money, and it just sure. so it just adds, just adds up, up, yeah, very quickly, very quickly. It's, and it's all modular too, which is one thing you're pointing. You can just <sighs> oh, swap yeah. out different sizes of holsters, and yeah. And, cr- crazy. But you could get into it. So the shell caddy that I use, I'm sorry, I'm going back to eleven. No, I want, I, I, I want to go to a nine on this belt real quick. I don't want to, I don't want to derail it. I want to go to a nine on the belt. Yeah, yeah, The yeah. belt's the slickest thing in the world because it's like, it, it's hook and loop Velcro. And you run the fuzzy, there's a belt with the fuzzy part. And the you run belt. the fuzzy part, the underbelt, through your normal belt loops. And then you got like a fuzzy belt on. Then the belt that holds all the accoutrements uh, is the hook, the hook portion of the hook and loop velcro that goes on over i don't i feel like uh people in the trades should have one of those for everything right it's so much more like i don't know how like if i I was framing houses i'd be right now going out and being like i'm switching my whole belt situation i'm I'm getting me a fire lamb belt and putting oh yeah i'm I'm gonna get like a like a (laughs) hammer loop a couple nail pouches and shit on that setup man yeah yeah. instead of spending your whole day trying to pull your pants up smart that's true well so it's it's very similar to a law enforcement belt because it's so rigid it's so rigid and when you have that inner belt system that is really tucking it close to your body and then you have what we call the outer belt which is what you're talking about that has all of our attachments on it that is such a rigid system because there's so much weight I mean, when you think about it, and you felt it. I know you felt it. I saw I saw it like that twinkle in your eye because when I first started shooting the Legion, which is a ton- tungsten infused uh, Sig three twenty, right? It's a heavy it's a heavy gun. Um, you feel it on your hip after a while because especially with women where just the way your hips are shaped yeah. and the way that belt sits on you, it just like, it starts to bruise. After a while, I don't know, I don't know what happens, but your body just gets used to all that weight. It, I, I don't know. But when I first started shooting, even just having a Glock 17, which is just a light polymer gun, I was like, oh man, th- this hurts. And now I'm like, eh, whatever. Yeah, I got you. <laughs> I don't even feel it, you know? Now, a lot of you guys are familiar with the old hunting tradition of eating, you know, some organ, the heart or a chunk of liver off the first animal you kill. I had that when I was a little kid, and it was a big deal. Organ meats were always prized by frontier people who knew the importance of getting a lot of different minerals and nutrients. And as often is the case, those guys were on to something. 
because organs are among the most nutrient-rich foods on the planet. And you can get the same benefits your ancestors craved via convenient daily capsules from Heart and Soil made exclusively from regeneratively raised, grass-fed, and finished cattle. Heart and Soil's unique freeze-drying process means all those important nutrients are trapped in ensuring you experience every one of the benefits of nature's superfood in a clean, convenient, taste-free capsule. Find out more at heartandsoil.co and make sure to use code MEATEATER for 10% off your purchase. That's heartandsoil.co. Use the code MEATEATER. I want to tell you about an American-made success story and Black Buffalo's award-winning nicotine pouches. Black Buffalo was built by dippers with decades of smokeless tobacco use. Black Buffalo is all about the history and tradition of dip, but they understand the convenience and discretion modern-day consumers are looking for. Black Buffalo's nicotine pouches give you the versatility to consume discreetly, but keep the ritual with flavors dippers love. Mint, straight, and wintergreen, all proudly made right here in the USA. Tell them, Chili. The reason I like black buffalo pouches is, one, they're very discreet. And what I mean by that is I can throw one in and almost forget it's there. And I prefer the mint pouches. So if you're 21 or older, consume nicotine or tobacco and want to join the black buffalo herd, head over to blackbuffalo.com to learn more. You can order nicotine pouches online. They ship directly to most states or check out their store locator to purchase pouches at thousands of retail locations around the country. Black Buffalo Tobacco Alternative. Bold flavor, full pouches. Warning, this product contains nicotine. Nicotine is an addictive chemical. Black Buffalo products are intended for adults age 21 and older who are consumers of nicotine or tobacco. Hey everybody, I'm talking here about Montana Knife Company from our very own state of Montana. This company was founded by one of the most experienced master bladesmiths in the world, Josh Smith, who, over recent months, I've become friends with. And my God, have I learned a lot about knives from this guy. Just a phenomenal hometown company that makes world-renowned knives. Josh has been making knives for 30 years. You get one of these knives up and open it, it is sharp like something that came from outer space. And here's the deal. They make knives that can be sharpened. You can work on these knives. If you don't want to work on them, you send it to them and they'll work on it. They'll get it sharp. Phenomenal hunting knives. If you want to see them in action, we just did, uh, me and uh, John Hayes, the taxidermist, just did a video about how to properly skin a black bear. Um, Watch that video. And in that video, you'll see Montana Knife Company knives in action. MKC products usually sell out in minutes of being released, which is true. But now for the first time, they're dabbling with having knives in stock on their site. So right now you can grab yourself a Blackfoot 2.0 or the Ultralight Speed Goat. Use code MEATEATER and you get 10% off your first order. Montana Knife Company, working knives for working people, 10% off with code MEATEATER. That's a good deal. When did you shoot the first tournament? That was in 2016. Oh, so, but how do you go from like not? How, oh, Steve, you don't even like, shoot you just start, on the like, competition. You, you just Steve. find out about something, get the shit, and go. You don't like spend like years okay. like getting ready to. 
let's, compete. Let's go over a quick story. Yeah. So Taylor's first shooting season, this is me, I'm talking in third person, sorry, was in 2017. My first competition, uh, like full season, 2017. By the end of 2017, I started and have now ran for four years the biggest three-gun match in New England. So I went from <laughs> being <laughs> a person who just started shooting three-gun to putting together and running a full-fledged match by the end of the season. There's the enthusiasm. So, do, do you feel like you have a... um? <laughs> do you kind of have... Do you feel like you have like a mild form of... Uh, what's the word I'm looking for? Not... You're like... like a Like, are you obsessive about stuff? Like, I'm not like a... Uh, like a savant or... <laughs> no, like, do you have like... Do you have like an... Do, do you... But do you feel that you get obsessed with something... And then, like, it runs its course, and then you, wham, jump into something else. It depends. Like, if I talk to you in five years, are you going to be like, oh, no, I'm a competitive sailor? <laughs> Who knows? And then you'll be like, oh, good I at mean, sailing. And someone and some will be like, you used to shoot three-gun? Dude, I have no idea. Like, oh, yeah, what? I was like, I was shooting three-gun competitively two well, years ago. I mean, I'm only 30, I, I, heard of this so thing, uh, I don't know what my cycle is going to be. You know, may, maybe. But, but do you feel, like you'll, do you feel like you'll be way into something different in a couple I years? I don't think so. Uh, I, I don't think so. So my, my evolution of sports, each each one met its end for its own reason. Uh, the thing oh. that I, I love so shooting So it's not for, just that you drifted away. It's not that I drifted away. No, not at what all. What ended kickboxing? I moved to New Hampshire. They had no good dojos. What ended shooting shotguns? Well, that was three gun. I got in a three gun because I was like, meh. Well, that's not a natural end. That's just you getting not so something that evolved. Yeah. It's it's still competitive shooting. You know, it's still competitive shooting. In my so you opinion. don't think that you'll? Like, I mean, in well, two or three years, you don't think you'll be into some whole new thing, but like way ass into in, it. In competitive shooting, absolutely. Maybe I'll get into PRS, or maybe I'll get into something else. Three gun holds really close to my heart. Um, PRS, so, tell uh, people. Precision rifles shooting. Yeah. Um, I think that a lot more of this audience will probably know about PRS more than three gun. Uh, it's easier to picture. It's like way when someone easier. says precision rifle shooting, you yeah. kind of like, yeah, I got it. Like yeah, ghillie I can, suit, I can imagine. rifle, yeah. yeah. No, it's actually, it's a, it's a ton of fun. And I think that if you're a hunter, you should do a PRS match just to stay star- sharp on your skills. Not saying that three gun isn't transferable, but PRS is directly transferable uh, to hunting for sure. It's awesome. Here's a, here's a, here's a question for you. But I don't know. I'm trying to think of how to frame it. I think it's safe to say that Clay shooting mm-hmm. is a like is a derivative sort of, of of hunting of wing shooting. Of course, I think that they feed each other, right? Like especially people that clays. like to shoot quail, like guys that are like way into to, to things that are very like you know uh, heavy shooting, like a lot like a lot of opportunities. Mm-hmm. Um, you go out for quail, you go out for dove, like those. There's a lot of crossover between quail and dove hunters. In sporting clays. But like three gun is very, strikes me as like very military. Okay. But you don't have any, like you're not out of law enforcement. You're not out of military. Are you like an exception in that you didn't come from military and law enforcement? Not at all. Most people who do three gun do not have a LEL or military background. Um, I I would picture like if it wasn't, if the war on terror, if there hadn't been the war on terror, I feel like three gun wouldn't exist. What? That's, wow. Really? Yeah, because this I feel like it's like... This is a fascinating perspective you're coming to the like table with. I just feel like it's super... Well, no, I just think it's super informed by... It, it, it's like very informed by um, like moving through targets. 
Sure. Like, I've thought about this before on the podcast. Like, years ago, I was invited down by the uh, third special forces group, and I got mm. to go down to Fort Bragg and watch mm-hmm. them train and um, doing different activities. And one day when, when I was there watching them train, they were training, like, they were training, transitioning from their rifle to their pistol. Yeah. And it was like on the move, going yeah. through with targets. And mm-hmm. it was all about, like, how smoothly you can move back, forth, back, forth. Yeah. And they were also doing a lot of stuff of like going into houses and like how to clear houses, move through houses. Yeah, CQB. Yeah. And it's like that, like a lot of the, the, like a lot of the movements and stuff seem to inform it. It's way different, but I feel like it's like heavily informed by it. It's not informed by it at all. If anything, I th- believe that competition shooting has been influencing military. Well, that's, I, what, that's what I was learning today, different yeah. things. Like you guys have little gear twitch, like gear fixes and strategies that flowed the other direction, which Correct. is surprising. Yeah. But you did say, though, that like it started basically because LEOs were LEO. training. Oh, for sure. And it, but it, I feel that it branched off very quickly. Um, and that you, again, I, military, uh, we, I have a lot of good friends who are um, active in the military. They are current law enforcement officers of every facet, right? Anywhere from, you know, SWAT to a beat cop, they'll come out and compete, but that's the minority. That might be uh, one or two or a few guys at a competition out of like 60 to 100 people, right? Um, and at a national level competition, you know, we're, we're going to see a lot more of those guys come out. But overall, because what I love is at a national level competition or one of these bigger three gun matches, you have, so the Marines, they have a shooting team, right? And then a uh, three gun team, they have a three gun team. Same thing for the army AMU. That is the biggest shooting team in all of military hmm. branches is AMU. Uh, some other, one of those military branches shooting team might be yelling at me right now, but it's, I think it's kind of known, um, you know, they, they have an incredible recruiting program with AMU. Uh, Dan Horner, who is one of the top three gun shooters, he, he came from AMU. Um, you know, uh, Max Michelle, he was Army as well. So that's one of the top guys. But anyways, um, <clears throat> so there are a lot of military branches. Uh, National Guard, they have a huge three gun shooting team. So there's a lot of military branches that have these shooting teams. But is it the majority? Absolutely not. Yeah. Absolutely not. There was a inter- there's a couple of things uh, that you guys pointed out to me today. Is for instance, like things I, I I had heard but hadn't really heard them articulated well. Like the tendency to stand side, like oh, to, to like if you're shooting sure. a pistol, the tendency to turn your body so that you're like parallel in the line with your target comes from trying to like shrink your profile mm-hmm. to a potential shooter. Yeah, and they're like open up, like you're not you're not needing to do that. Or another thing with like a military rifle hold in 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 like what you guys like was it, there's a term someone used like close court. Um yep. So like a military uh, rifle hold CQB, is like close quarter employing combat. your arm employing your arm to help as a protection to your body. Right. And that's not needed. So right. there's like these ways in which you see like little habits people have, I guess from watching the news or watching mm-hmm. movies and you just start to like you think you know how to hold stuff. And then the competitive shooters being like, No, 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 like you're doing like a cop thing that we don't do. Like it's yes. it's it's better this way, you know. Yes. And and 
I've taken a lot of training classes before where you have uh, LEO law enforcement officers and there are things that we do that may not be safe for them, like, you know, facing straight onto your target. We're not shooting from behind cover. There's all these different things that may not be safe for them. But for us, we're thinking about time because oh, yeah, that's a, a good game point. There's no like utilizing. There's no utilizing cover. There is not. So there are mm. different games for that. And at the end of the day, these are these are games are great training tools, but they're games uh, called IDPA. And so IDPA does their best to be as realistic as possible. I'm sorry, I have my like little air quotes going. Air quotes going. Um, and that's to train people how to like a- approach a active shooter situation or like not whatever. Even. It's just they give you the scenario. It's not even about active shooters or anything like that. They give you this scenario hypothetically where maybe there there is one, but they, tr- you know, it's part of the game. They have to shoot from behind cover, that kind of thing. Uh, but again, there's a lot of different disciplines within shooting sports. All right, Yanni, what do you got? What are your observations? Uh, well, I, a couple more questions about shooting and, and the competition and you, mm. you're, you're shooting. So there's so few women that you guys are just lumped into one division. Yeah. Uh, so when the results come out, it's not like you're always taking first place in the women's division. Mm. You're just taking whatever place it is in the division. Right. It, or yeah, in the one that you entered. So yeah. where do where do you and the and the, there's another gal that you mentioned earlier, where do you guys rank against thousands of men? And there's what? There's a handful of you women a handful shoot, of us. shooting professionally? Yeah. I mean, so I consider myself a mid-pack hero, which means that I typically will finish, you know, upper to mid-pack to lower to mid-pack, depending on how good of a batter day I've done, right? So that that's where I typically place a mid-pack hero. Now, I'm talking overall. When it comes to, mm-hmm. to women, there's so little women that normally, you know, I'm, I'm high lady overall. That's not, you know, because, again, yeah. there's – there's not there's not many of us, so I'm always looking at overall standings, um, in terms of of where I complete in that. Um, and then what was the other question? Well, you're saying that there was a like you mentioned Lena, I think maybe was her oh, name, the, yeah. the best ever. She's awesome. Are going like has she ever just straight out won? Yeah, and beat oh beat the whole all the whole field. Um, so I, I mean, gosh, if she showed a shot, any locals, I mean, yeah, she'd cream absolutely everyone in terms of, and I'm so sorry, Lena, if you're listening to this, I can't remember if she's won overall in national competition. I think, I believe she's come close. Um, so recently she placed third, um, in a, I believe it was an area match, uh, third overall, uh, which was very, very respectful. Uh, that was, uh, respectable, very respectable of her. No prize money. <laughs> no. Mm-hmm. We do all of this for bragging rights. Yeah. yeah. I mean, it's it's crazy. You could you could get some sponsorships. Um, you know, you could work with some companies, stuff like that. But and go, going pro is just you find a way within the industry to make like yeah. m- to make ends most, meet. Most most anyone yeah. who is quote unquote pro um is they're just working in an industry. Yeah. That's mm-hmm. it. One facet or the other. Well she got in that little brain of yours. Uh I mean, do we want to dive into how it was for us? Because I mean, we, yes. we we went. I mean, th- this is kind of the, me- the meat of it all is that we went and sh- and had got trained by Taylor, that which took it probably took the better part of two hours, right? Just <laughs> oh. just going that was longer, than that, yeah, man. longer than that. I'm like yeah. putting my my head down into my hands deeply right now because they were like, "Hey, we want to learn how to shoot three gun." I'm like, "Fantastic! This is normal." Three hours. This is a, <laughs> yeah. this is a two day class. Then I was under the impression it was going to be one day, and I'm like, "Wow, um, how am I going to do this all in one day?" And then Corin calls and says, "Actually, it's a half a day," and I'm like, "Oh." 
Oh you my did, god! Yeah, yeah, you did great. I like. I at least have, <laughs> I can at least now say like what it is. I was losing my mind no, for a little it was bit. Great. Because no, you're pro. We rolled in there, and Woo! our, our norm, yeah, you're a good teacher. Our, our normal, uh, you know, operating procedures to roll in there and BS with everybody. And as oh. soon as we rolled in, Taylor's like, "All right, get over here. We're going safety." I'm like, "Oh, this is serious. Okay, safety." <laughs> and then it was like, "There's a rifle or a." Pistol on our belt on our thing, and then the pistol on the belt, and we were on our way. No, so. yeah. I think you're a good teacher. You don't mess yeah. around. No, you know yeah. it's like a lot of good information, but it's like you don't take time to like you don't you don't have like little canned jokes you do and shit like that. You just like get into it, man. Yeah, no, we, it was so much yeah. fun. I'd recommend it'd be like great for us to get our families together and go and take that class. It's with so Taylor again. cool yeah. when kids kid get into three guns. Like I think I think your wife would like it. <laughs> oh, she'd like it. Oh, Jimmy was already asking about it. He was like, "So what is?" No, it? I was saying he's gonna. <laughs> I was like, he's gonna get away with. He's gonna. He'd come away from there with so many like bad ideas. But <laughs> <laughs> shotgun. Your, your wallet would him, be like, so empty. No, when he went from knowing about single shot shotguns to pumps. Yeah, it was just like a whole new thing. <laughs> Thank so God that, he hasn't that, seen my no, gear. That world would be it'd just be too much for him. To it handle. would be way it would be way too much for him. Uh, but everything would be a letdown. So after that. <laughs> interesting because I I did not know what to expect with y'all in terms of skill level, and so obviously you're good hunters, right? And but just because someone is a good hunter doesn't mean that they're necessarily proficient with their firearms. And y'all would know this from firsthand for from meeting some people that you might have hunted with who may not have the let's say, best marksmanship. Does that make sense? Yeah, um, just like the whole, yeah, all of it that goes into it. hunters in general, and in general, this is not to everyone, um, they, like, they'll point guns at each other, right? So their concept of safety <laughs> is very, very different. In competition shooting, safety is at the forefront of our minds at all times, and we have so many different rules to make sure we're being as safe as possible. Where in the hunting world, there's just very different perspective when it comes to, again, safety and gun manipulation and efficiency of movement, all these things. So I don't know what to expect with y'all. Yeah, um, and listen, I want to back Taylor up because if right now you're at home and you're like, that's bullshit, man. <laughs> that, I, you know, I don't see that kind of stuff going down. It's like I can tell you as a guide – Weekly, if not daily, would someone would be giving you the old um, tunnel vision, as we called it, <laughs> and it would get to the point where you'd be like, "Dude, one more time, and We're like done. I- I'm done. You can uh, someone else can hunt yeah. with you. You can hunt by yourself." But like, I don't want to look down your rifle barrel again. Do you understand me? So yeah, you're you're spot on. Like, yeah. there's a lot. There's plenty of that that goes down. It is. Yeah. Yeah. We kept laughing about they make you go wait in the truck. If you make a mistake. Oh, if you get DQ disqualified. Yeah, not Dairy Queen. Yeah, but but what's funny, there is a inside joke uh, with, you know, especially action uh, shooters that if you get DQ'd, you have to go to DQ and mm. eat your ice cream. Oh. And so we... You don't have to bring it back for everybody else? That's what I think No, have you're to the do. one who got DQ'd. No, I know. You have you to sh- eat your ice cream. And you and have to so, buy ice cream for everybody else. No, that's not how... Yeah, so because the ice cream is not... It's like a bittersweet, mm. right? No. And... And what's funny is that if we're stage planning, there'll there'll be a, a moment where it's like, oh, I'm not going to eat my ice cream on this stage. And it's just like we instantly know yeah. what the other person's talking about. You don't want to go to Dairy Queen. You don't want to get DQ'd. <laughs> well, yeah, no. I mean, even the the difference. I got caught. I got. I would have DQ'd just holstering my pistol at the very end of my round. I think yeah. I had done everything right. Which yeah. round? To the second that, round. The first. The first, first round. What'd you do? 
And when she asked me, um, you, when you're done, they uh, Taylor asked you, she was acting as the range officer. And she asked you to clear the gun and show that your hammer is down. So you open the action and then uh, you close the action and then you'll pull the trigger to show that it's completely empty, right? And then you holster, right? Well, just the way that my hips were facing, the angle that I was angled off of that 180 degree line that you can't pass. And then I went to holster and just that action was enough to basically get my gun pointed back behind me holstering it, you know? And I was pointing it down at the ground, but just that was enough to get it pointed. Yeah, I, I wish that would have happened on your second round, because that would have meant I won. <laughs> <laughs> oh, it was that close? Oh, I guess if, if I DQ, then yeah, then you if win. If, <laughs> if, if they would have called a DQ, I would have been like the victor. You would be the victor. <laughs> yeah. Uh, that's a terrible way to win, though. But you, yeah. It would have counted. It would have counted, because that meant that the other person... My, um... I feel like like you could almost the first time you do it, like the second time you're gonna cut your time in half. I feel like the third time you're probably gonna cut it by a third. Then right. it's probably then it's you're probably just plateauing. then you're just stuck. You yeah, know? it's gonna uh, start plateauing. So with you guys, it was amazing watching you. Again, you know, we went from the very beginning of the day working on pistol, and so I typically like to start with pistol because that gives you a really good calibration of how someone's overall firearm skills are because that tends to be one of the hardest platforms to learn because there's so much more like with the grip and the stance and how you're looking down the sights. A rifle, I'm not saying that there isn't difficulty to it, but you pretty much, you hold it up and you look down the scope and you pull the trigger and you're good to go. With a pistol, there's there's so much going into it. So so you got named teacup because you were doing the (laughs) old teacup and saucer uh, grip, right? Which is sort of like old school FBI movie Charlie's Angels type stuff which but is not acceptable. I do think that there's I wanted we ran out of time cuz I wanted to explore this. I do think that there's like some revolver There's yeah. like some holdover from when people shot revolvers. Right. That your hand position like the hand position you people are using isn't appropriate to a revolver. Um so maybe some people that's the case. I think most of it they're they're watching TV and they're seeing Charlie's improper Angels. grips. They're seeing Charlie's Angels. <laughs> they're seeing all these mo- like cop movies, like Steven Seagal, all these guys where they're just like you know grabbing it from the bottom, and it's like, what are you doing? This makes no sense. Yeah, we should explain. So the teacup is like if you're holding that pistol in one hand. And you got your little tea saucer. You, you, if yeah. you're a right hander, then your left hand, yeah, is like, like a little little teacup or a saucer underneath it from the from the bottom and you're sort of supporting it from the bottom where it's not okay in reality you you almost make like a like two fists together like they're golf cl- gripping a golf club there yes. you go i heard that analogy <laughs> yes. earlier today so uh seeing you guys go from from that all the way to actually transitioning between target to target so shooting one target and then shooting the other one while on the move while you know, walking with, with the handgun, doing the same thing with the rifle. Uh, so up close, shooting up close with a rifle is very different from precision shooting with a rifle um, and with the cadence because as hunters, y'all are making, you know, one super meaningful shot from a distance where with this, I mean, we're doing at least two at a time and you're you're just getting getting after it, you know. Uh, things things get a little spicy and so when it, you're it, running with that gun, it, it changes things. For sure. It, it really took me a, a while to be like, you don't have to aim as much as you're trying to no. aim. It's like, it's pretty yeah. much the like brown is down. All the all the targets happen to be brown that we shot today that were paper. 
But that's a famous deer hunting line. Yeah. I but know that one. As soon yeah. as you're on paper, you can just squeeze twice. And like you said, there are different rings, but we weren't playing by those yeah. rules today. You just no. said, hey, we just want two hits on paper. That's so I had to really tell right. myself, like, That's where I think that you guys aiming. should mod- – that's why I was going to come out with my own tournament. Yeah. And shrink those targets way down. Um, so we could do that. Uh, so today we shot what was called time plus, which is how much time did it take for you to run to the s- stage – plus penalties, right? Mm. So time plus scoring. Um, if we did something along the lines of USPSA multi-gun um, like Comstock, then there would be a point system dependent upon the accuracy that oh, you shot those. I like those, that, man. Right? So, mm. so we, we, could, we could dig into this crazy stuff. Um, Comstock uh, scoring with three-gun is, is, is not normal, uh, but it, it certainly happens, right? And it is perhaps... So I could be, specialize into that. Right. If so that meant, if that meant a lot to me, I would recommend for you to start shooting USPSA matches uh, because that really will emphasize uh, more, more, more accuracy. Hmm. Yeah, for sure. Um, but again, you know, it was so cool watching you guys uh, progress. And then when we ended on the shotgun with showing the quad load, because I'm like, I saved that kind of for last because you know how to shoot a shotgun, right? For the most part, if, if you've shot a shotgun before, you could go into a three gun competition and kind of figure your way out. It's just the reloading part. And then, again, circling around to those quad loads, you when your eyes light up like saucers. It was so cool. Well, that's yeah. another cool modification to that shotgun is that the um, – gosh, I don't know what you call that little part. But basically just when you're looking down into the tube and you can just see the, the brass end if you have a shell loaded in there, right? Yeah. And if the gun's upside down, the lip that normally would just be perfectly around it is sort of shaved and ramped. So that as you're sliding those two in there, your thumb doesn't catch and you don't have to push it quite as far in there for right. it to catch. Oh, yeah, I got you. Yeah. That's a nice modification. Yes. So like, what he's talking about is uh, the receiver, the actual receiver at the bottom of the shotgun where the lifter is, where the shells go in, mm-hmm. is opened up. So we called those milled receivers. So uh, some people go in with a CNC machine. They'll actually mill those out. They have a program for it. And uh, what I did with my first shotgun is I took a Dremel tool and I went to town. And you'll find that no most- shit, com- really? Yeah. Oh, hell yeah. Most competitive shooters, we are uh, – and it's funny because I've ran into other people across country who they teach classes, but they're not in the competitive world. And so I'm shielded. I started, you just heard my story. I started competitive shooting six months after the first time I bought a gun. So I've almost exclusively lived in the competitive shooting world. I'm not exposed to the recreational shooter uh, per se. And so I'm not made privy to those weird um, ideas that they have. And one of those ideas is that you can't modify your firearm and have it still be safe where in competitive shooting we will take uh, a dremel tool to our gun at blink of an eye i mean we we will get right in there and open everything up and make it way better oh yeah 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 without having that like well it's grandpa's old well we're not gonna do that to grandpa's because grandpa's gun is not sophisticated (laughs) enough for our our purposes typically we totally we the, the total length that we actually ran yes which i'll i will say that i don't think i ever actually hit run for me personally mm. i might have gotten to like a uh you have a very quick, long gait shuffle so you you would do like this this long saunter over yeah 
I feel like it would almost slow me down. If I got up to top speed, it would take me so much to, again, come to a stop or slow down or whatever. Yep. But again, I just Get that to, much just inertia, said, man. Yeah. He'd, Maybe blow, we, he'd blow right to the back end of the course. We could spend so much time on this. Um, yeah, so there... But my question is is about this. Is like we only, it, it, Roughly, we went 50 yards or so, right? Sure. From where we started to where we stopped shooting the pistol. There were other targets that were farther that we shot with the rifle, right, at 100. But... Like how much is actual? You look to when I see you, I think that person's an athlete. How much does athleticism really play in this? Mm. Good question. Yeah, no, that's an excellent question. So I will tell you right now that it makes a big difference, but you don't have to be incredibly athletic in order to be successful in action shooting, right? And so to give you an example, there's this guy back home. His name is Don Seleski. Actually, he, I don't know if he's familiar with y'all, but uh, he's gone to Africa a whole bunch to, to hunt and stuff. Like, he's such a cool guy. Anyway, so he's this old geezer. He wears two knee braces, right? And he, like, has this hunch, but he is, like, the most accurate person ever. He, he takes his sweet time, but he's just accurate, and he places very well. And there, there are a lot of people who don't necessarily have the economy of movement, but they're when they do pull that trigger, they mean every time, and they're very efficient, and so they do well, right? But when you get up to that upper, you know, level, that upper echelon mm-hmm. of shooters, the athleticism does make a difference because um, the when you are being very, very conscious of how you're moving your body that's efficiency and that when we start breaking down to tenths of a second the difference of um like what you said when you're sauntering over you'd be concerned about stopping in time so we do like a stutter step right so the difference between having a efficient stutter step into a stop and already having your gun up on a target versus running somewhere stopping and then drawing could be two tenths of a second and that could be the difference between winning or losing a match. So It's like choreography. It is choreography. So you don't necessarily have to be athletic per se, but you have to really understand how to move your body in an efficient way. Yeah, I can see at a point, like competitively, um, you could be like a great shooter and have great hand-eye coordination. But in the end, you're like, you would save seconds off your time if you were super agile. Right. And, and again, you know, it's, it's isn't like, necessarily... It's like, you, like you're improving yeah. everything. Like your, your equipment, you're trying to make your equipment maximized. You're trying to make your your procedures and methods maximize. Like mm. you're probably going to wind up maximizing the physical component. Mm-hmm. Like just you want to make everything better. Right. right. Like how are you using your body in space? Are you being specific with your movements or just, you yeah, know, you're all over the place and it's yeah. not undermining efficiency, I guess. Absolutely. Mm. Absolutely. What observations, questions you got, Corinne, there? I guess uh, where where you feel like the application is to to hunting and, you know, the speed or I was talking to Garrett earlier and he was saying one thing about practicing three gun is uh, like target acquisition. So yeah, that would have been the first thing I would have right? said Like you. if something, if an animal is, is moving, you're looking carefully, is moving between trees, disappears, you know, there's some kind of mm. speed, there's some I've kind seen, of accuracy, like you're just trying to dial that in. I've seen more game get the slip on someone because they didn't get on it and shoot Mm -hmm. when they should have, then, then they missed. Like the, the like right there, right there, right there, right there. They're like, Mm -hmm. I can't find it. I'm like, ah, getting on. Mm -hmm. I think getting on, I think the shotgun stuff is really good for like just being fast, especially picturing like hunting cottontails or, you know, quail, whatever. 
like wing shooting. I think that just that ability to like see something and shoot, see something and shoot. I think um, that's probably, I guess, the most obvious ones to me. And then Mm -hmm. also just the thing of like learning that mindset of being methodical, being finicky about your gear, knowing that like this goes there, that goes there. I do this. This is my routine. This is my method. You know, I shoot this way, right? And um, like getting in that mind frame of mm-hmm. procedure, uh, is helpful. But I don't know that it would. I think that there'd be like more. If, like if you wanted to just train to uh, just train to be a wing shooter or just train to be a good big game hunter, I think you you would find ways to train obviously much more specifically Mm -hmm. yeah Yeah. it wouldn't be as much fun but you could train much more specifically i think that's a great point is working on those those transitions and understanding your scope going from that dialed in you know three power at 100 yards all the way down to you know a 1.5 to a one and yeah i think Mm -hmm. that there's a lot more applicable with hunting with shooting i believe overall competitive shooting makes you very proficient with your platforms, sure. right? Mm-hmm. And yeah, just general firearm handling. Just general. Oh, just firearm wa- yeah, handling. watching you guys fiddle around with your stuff. Oh yeah, like, you know that thing. Oh, I you're mean, not like how's this work? Well, and that's <laughs> the thing like is like, body. what's this when button do? <laughs> I first walked into a gun shop when I was you know newer to it. You, you know, I remember sitting there so nervous. Uh, like I, I couldn't even remember how to pull back the slide and have it stay open. And uh, you know, all those controls just it made me anxious. And now it's like if I walk into a gun shop, normally if they see me handle a gun, they just step back and they're like. All right, we're gonna let you do your thing. Yeah, I don't know, uh, who, who am I to say? <laughs> They're like, hey, clearly you know what you're doing. Uh, but it, it, you know, so again, when you take it upon yourself to be a better marksman, whether if it's through competition shooting or another avenue, then overall your understanding of firearms is is, is going to expand exponentially and the difference between competition just going to the range of practice is that you now have you have all of these rules you have people who are pushing you you have ways to gauge your improvement and you have something to hold you accountable it's a very social sport right and so every you know weekend or once a month or however much you want to compete you have your buddies there at the range and the camaraderie is incredible and so you you build this this kindred spirit and they hold you accountable like if you don't show up for a match or two they're like hey where the heck were you um and so again that they send you to dairy queen if they you're not do, if you're not safe <laughs> they're not gonna if you're not safe yeah they're not gonna send you to dairy queen if you just don't show up like hey I, you know i think you deserve a DQ. no when you said like hold accountable <laughs> i meant like there's like a very i, I, oh, I would yeah, like to point yeah. out that there is a um extremely strong emphasis on safe handling oh yeah yeah, I mean, you know, and y'all probably saw it today. I would get asked a question, but then out of the peripheral of my eye, if I saw something I didn't like, I'm like, I literally hold up my hand and be like, hey, what are you doing over there? Yeah. <laughs> you know, are you breaking the 180? Are you, you know, loading that gun when I didn't tell you to load it or, you know, whatever. Uh, so we are utmost safe. Yeah, there's a lot going on. You got to pay, you got to be like spatially aware what's happening. Yeah, around thousand you. percent. You have to be very aware. All yeah. right. Tell, tell people how to tell people how to find you if they want to come check out. Cause Instagram's cool. Cause you can see what you kind of yeah. get like a sense. There's, you put videos up and shit like that. Yeah. So, so I, I put videos up on, I'm probably more strong on Instagram than anything. People keep telling me to do YouTube. So I don't know. And I'm, I'm working on it. three gun girl. 
N H Three Gun Girl is Instagram. Um, and, and then you're writing your videos are on Guns.com. Or? They are, yeah. So I do. So all my travels, because we're talking earlier about how I live in a camper, travel cross country. I post all those to my stories, so you can see my awesome photography from you know where I'm at. All my stories, um, and then all the videos that I I do on firearm reviews, educational videos. Those are with Guns.com. So they have a YouTube channel, uh, which is like probably their most you know popular platform, and then they have a website as well. Um, but that's that's most of the work that I do for them. So that's that's how you could find me. And then where if people want to go and they want to go uh, spectate at a three gun tournament. What's sort of like the what's like the hot website for seeing what's going on in that world? Ah, yes. Okay, so this is the moment I have been waiting for this entire podcast. If you want to get into competition shooting, um, look at so first of all, uh, go to practice score. So that is like think of the word practice, and then the word score. So it's actually practice score. Oh, search it. Right? Not practice, practice score. Yeah, yeah practice score. So go to practice score, uh, pull up your town, and you could type in USPSA, three gun, whatever. You could just plug in your town or your state. Like I already pulled them up in Montana. There's a club in Big Sky um, that does USPSA competition. So I might try to hop into one of those. Um, anyways, so you could go there, figure out where your local competition is. Uh, from there, then you could get the contact information for the match director and ask him, like, hey, I'm a new shooter. I need gear or I need a advice and i would 100 percent guarantee that they're going to be helpful to you in getting into competition shooting and then on facebook you could just research local groups and they're yep. helpful yeah okay so yep. instagram at nh three like numeral three gun girl that's it and then practice score if you want to get into competition shooting. and guns.com and guns.com great url they just lay it right out yeah, it's very, Guns. it's very dot direct. Com. Guns.com. That's why I love <laughs> Got it. it. The, the problem, though, is because it says .com, when you start to type it into social media, they automatically want to like link to. And it's like when I'm texting someone about guns.com and automatically is trying to give me the website. I'm like, no, I'm just trying to say it. I don't want to share it. But anyways, yeah, I'm with you. I digress. I digress. Right. Well, thank you, uh, Taylor Thorne. Thanks. for uh, It was a great day. Yeah, it was, fun. It, was fun. it was like a genuine range day. Awesome with you guys. We had a range day. It was a range day, and it was a fun range day. It was awesome. All right, thanks a lot. Thank, Thank you. you. Hey, if you follow wildlife news at all, you're probably aware that the island of Maui has an incredible abundance of Axis deer, so much so that they're causing ecological damage. Well, Maui Nui venison is thinning out some of those Axis deer herds and delivering venison sticks and fresh cuts to your door. Visit MauiNuiVenison.com. That's M-A-U-I-N-U-I venison.com. Use promo code MEATEATER for 20% off your order. You never want to find yourself out on the water fishing without your essentials. So it's best to always pack a Columbia PFG Solar Stream Elite hoodie to protect against the sun. Man, I was just in Hawaii and I had my Columbia PFG Solar Stream Elite hoodie with me. And here's the deal. We're in and out of the water all the time, getting into go spearfishing, getting out, taking the kids to the beach. I'm not going to mess around all day putting sunscreen on and having to get washed off. 
I just run a hoodie. Columbia PFG has a lot of great gear. So before you head out on the water, head over to Columbia.com slash PFG to shop their performance fishing gear. 